This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. Uh, firstly, I want to apologize for the slight delay in starting. As you can see, we've had some technical issues here in the masjid. So, inshallah ta'ala, this is going to be the first of a series of lectures, which is a reading and commentary of Tafsirul Jalalain. And last Tuesday, I did a brief introduction and a brief summary of um, just the methodology of these two scholars in choosing this tafsir. Tafsir that is famously known as Al-Jalalain, referring to its two authors, Jalaluddin Al-Mahalli, and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti alayhima rahmatullahi ta'ala. This tafsir is considered to be, uh, in terms of tafsir, it is considered to be like a matan. It's almost like a textbook, like a syllabus that you can take because it's a single volume, and through it you can understand the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we've mentioned before, mentioned on our Tuesday, and I've mentioned previously in other classes, that tafsir is based upon what Allah azza wa says, what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, and said, and what the scholars of the past from the Salaf, the companions and the students of the Tabi'een, and the well-known scholars of Tafsir, how they commentated on the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's essentially what has been summarized within Tafsir al-Jalalain. And Tafsir al-Jalalain mentions many different aspects that if you were to go to some of those longer works of Tafsir, like Ibn Kathir, like Al-Qurtubi, like Al-Tabari, you would find the details that are mentioned here in very summarized form, you would find them in much detail, much more detail in those longer works of tafsir. So this is, inshallah ta'ala, the book that we're starting with. And before we begin, tafsir al-jalalain, as we said, is a summarized tafsir, which means that it doesn't often mention the ahadith or the statement of the scholars, or, for example, who said what, or whose tafsir this particularly was from amongst the salaf. And that's because it's meant to be a summary. If he, were to, if he was to have gone into that detail, then it would no longer have been a summary, but it would have been a very extensive work of tafsir as other works of tafsir are. And that's why it is summarized. And so our reading and commentary on this will follow the same methodology to some extent that has been set down by the two Jalals, by Al-Jalalain. And that's, inshallah ta'ala, so that we can keep that same, uh, you know, kind of summarized, brief version of tafsir going. And that's so that, inshallah ta'ala, every day we can, we attempt and we hope that, inshallah ta'ala, we can complete a juz of the Qur'an so that we can finish the tafsir of the whole Qur'an, bithnillahi ta'ala, by the end of this month of Ramadan. There are two approaches to this tafsir book. There are people who just want to come and listen to this tafsir and, you know, become closer to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and get that iman boost that we all need, especially in this particular month of Ramadan. And for them, you know, it's enough for you just to have a translation of the meanings of the Qur'an. It's enough for you just to listen and to kind of like be aware of what's going on. That's fine. And then there's another group of people who really want to study tafsir more seriously. They want a methodology, a syllabus, a curriculum by which to understand the complete book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for those people, you need a pen. And you need a notebook or a notepad. You need something to be able to write down because you will not remember even 1% or half a percent of what the Jalalin mentioned in their tafsir because of the many different points that they mention. And at times, you know, we will perhaps sometimes repeat a verse, time allowing, or sometimes go and further elaborate on certain points into more detail than what would usually be the case because it's something which we want to expand upon. That's something which we're going to do because, inshallah ta'ala, there's a good group of us who 
actually want to study this tafsir in the methodology as a student of tafsir would do. And that's looking at all of these nuances and points and all of these benefits and all of these pearls and gems and wisdoms that the two jalals mention in this tafsir. Because the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we all know, is like an ocean that has no shore, it has no bank. It is something which no matter how many times you come back to study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is always more that you can take from it. And that's why there's not a single book of tafsir, whatever that book of tafsir may be, that has managed to gather and comprise every single benefit of the Qur'an within it. But often what scholars did, especially latter scholars or later scholars, is that they came to their books of tafsir and they approached tafsir just regarding one science, like the science of fiqh or the science of qira'at or some other science, Arabic language, because of how deep and how extensive the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. It is difficult therefore to bring everything in together. And so once we understand that that's the methodology, that's how we're going to proceed inshallah ta'ala, I hope that it becomes clearer. Inshallah ta'ala every day as well, I will mention a couple of points, questions that I will give you the answer for that, come, that we come across in the tafsir of that day, but I will give you the answer to them the following day. Because I want you to engage, I want you to think, and I want you to research. I want you to go back and see what you can find concerning this, even if it doesn't come to me, or even if you're unable to message me or get it to me. For you to do this yourself is, inshallah ta'ala, something which you will find beneficial. And no doubt this is the month of the Qur'an. It is the month of Ramadan, which is the month of the Qur'an and the Prophet ﷺ would spend more of his time and effort in this month of the Qur'an than otherwise, and it would make a difference upon his character وسلم, and the way that he would react and interact and the way that he would approach things and we're in dire need of this especially in this month of Ramadan that he makes this venture easy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to accomplish this task that Allah makes us from amongst those people who when they read the Quran they understand it and they comprehend it and they act upon it and apply his teachings we ask Allah to make us from the people of the Quran who are those special people that Allah has chosen for himself subhanahu wa ta'ala so we have to do the reading, inshallah ta'ala, our brother Ismail, who is, uh, for those of you that would usually pray Ramadan here, one of the imams that would be praying and leading taraweeh. Obviously for both myself and Ismail this year, there is no taraweeh, so this is our substitute of sorts. So inshallah ta'ala, he's going to begin with the recitation and the reading of Surah Al-Fatiha, and then we'll begin with the tafsir. Allah. صلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين اللهم اغفر لشيخنا ولوالدينا ولجميع المسلمين ما بعد قال المؤلفان رحمهم الله اعوذ بالله الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين سورة الفاتحة سورة الفاتحة is مكن and contains seven ayat if the Basmala is counted as an ayat then the seventh begins with the words the path of those you have blessed. If it is not counted, then the seventh begins with the words, not of those with anger on them. It is said that the command say is implied at the beginning in order to make the words you only appropriate, since that is what is said by Allah's slaves. So, one of the beautiful aspects of Tafsir al Jalalain is in a very summarized form. 
what the two Jalals have managed to do in this tafsir is to bring together so many of the different sciences of the Quran and place them within this very short version of the tafsir. And that's because the Quran, as we know, has many related sciences. From those sciences is what the two Jalals begin with. And this particular surah is the commentary of Jalal al-Din al-Mahalli, rahimahullah, who's the first author and he's the teacher. The two Jalals, as we mentioned on Tuesday when we were giving an introduction to this, our student and teacher, al-Mahalli is the teacher, al-Suyuti is the student. Al-Mahalli began his tafsir, rahimahullah ta'ala, from Surah Al-Kahf, more or less halfway through the Qur'an. And then he finished up until Surah Nas and he came back to Surah Fatiha. He completed Surah Fatiha and it said, according to some narrations or some, um, you know, some statements of, of later scholars, that he started Baqarah a few verses and then he passed away, rahimahullah. And so Imam Al-Suyuti came and then he completed the other half of the Qur'an that was remaining. So this is from the final tafsir, even though you know, the, the way that we're doing it is the first part of the Qur'an, but in terms of the way Mahalli wrote it, it is the, the final part of the tafsir of the Qur'an that he did, rahimahullah ta'ala. And that's why, unlike most books, even tafsir books, there is no introduction at the beginning of Fatiha. He just goes straight into the surah because his idea, and Allah Azza wa knows best, is that once he had finished the Qur'an, he would have put an introduction into it. He would have added a conclusion to it, and so on and so forth. So he begins with Surah Al-Fatiha, and he mentions from the science of the Qur'an, Meccan or Medinan. Is a surah Meccan or Medinan, which basically means, was it revealed before Hijrah? Before the Hijrah, meaning it's Meccan. Post-Hijrah, meaning it's that it's Medinan. And he says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that it is a Meccan surah. A Meccan surah, therefore meaning pre-Hijrah. And that is the opinion of many of the scholars of Tafsir. Other scholars said that it was revealed post-Hijrah. And there are scholars who also said that it was revealed twice. Once in the Meccan period, once in the Medinan period. But the stronger of those opinions, and Allah knows best, is that it was from the early revelations and from the revelations of the Meccan period. And one of the proofs for that is that Allah says in Surah Al-Hijr in the Qur'an, and one of the greatest ways of making Tafsir is by using the Qur'an to explain the Qur'an. Allah says, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ سَبْعًا مِنَ الْمَثَانِي وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ We gave to you the seven oft-repeated verses which refers to Surah Al-Fatiha and Surah Al-Hijr by ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir by consensus and by agreement is a Meccan Surah. So therefore, it seems, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best, Al-Fatiha is a Meccan Surah as well. He says that it is seven verses. As we mentioned that verse in Surah Al-Hijr, Allah calls them the seven oft-repeated verses. And it is from the names of Fatiha. Fatiha is also named, known as the Ummul Kitab, the mother of the book. As-Sab'ul Mathani, the seven oft-repeated verses. As-Salah, it is known as the, prayer, as the Surah of the Salah because of its importance within our daily prayer. And there's other names as well. From its names are the seven oft-repeated verses. So the scholars of Tafsir have unanimously agreed that there are seven verses in Surah Al-Fatiha, but they differed as to how you count those seven. And that is a science called Addul Ay, the science of counting verses, which is a completely different science that we don't have the time to go into its detail. In Surah Al-Fatiha, what that basically means is, is the Basmala, Bismillah rahman rahim a part of Surah Al-Fatiha, a verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, or is it not a verse of Surah Fatiha? If you count it as a verse of Fatiha, which is what usually happens in, in the Mus'haf that we have, then... Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim is the first verse and Sirat al-Ladheena namta alayhim ghayr al-Maghdubi alayhim al-Dhalim is all one verse. Whereas if you say the Basmala, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim is not part of the first of the, of the surah, then the first verse begins with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So the way that you have to make seven then is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyaka na'abudu wa Iyaka nasta'in, Ihdina al-Sirat al-Mustaqim, Sirat al-Ladheena namta alayhim. 
and that becomes a verse in and of itself and that's the meaning of him and if it is not counted then the seventh begins with the words and that is a stronger opinion and that is a, uh, it is a wider issue is the Bismillah Rahman Rahim at the beginning of every surah except surah Tawbah a part of the surah or not what is its position in the, in the Quran and the stronger opinion Allah know best, knows best as stated by Ibn Taymiyyah and others is that it is a verse of Surah Al-Naml because, because it comes in the midst of Surah Al-Naml uh, for every other surah of the Quran that it is at the beginning it is something which is independent of the surah so it's not part of the surah it is independent to show that one surah finishes and the next one begins and from the evidences of that in the sunnah is the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, which also is one of the hadith that speaks about the virtue of the surah Allah says I divided the, the, the salah in surah Fatiha in two halves between myself and my servant. And then the Prophet begins with, Oh Allah begins in this hadith al Qudsi, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And he doesn't begin with Bismillah Rahman Rahim, which shows that that is the beginning of the surah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And from the virtues of this surah, and there are many of them, is the hadith in which the Prophet was with Jibreel alayhi salam. And he said that we heard a sound above us. And Jibreel alayhi salam said to me that that is a gate of the heavens that has been opened. Never before has it been opened before. And then an angel descended and Jibreel said to me, that is an angel that is descending. Never before has he descended to earth. And that angel came and he said that you have been given from the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Surah Al-Fatiha and the conclusion of Surah Al-Baqarah. That is from the virtues of this surah. And from the virtues of this surah is the hadith of Sa'id ibn al-Mu'alla radiyallahu an, that he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam called me and there is a longer hadith in al-Bukhari the, the portion of the hadith that contains or pertains to our discussion is that he grabbed, the Prophet grabbed him by his hand and he said that I will tell you something, I will give you something that is extremely important. They came towards the end of the masjid, they were exiting the masjid. Sa'id said, O Messenger of Allah, you said you were going to tell me something. The Prophet said, I am going to tell you what the seven oft-repeated verses are. It is Surah Al-Fatiha, Awqamaqala, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that is what uh, Al-Mahalli is saying to him. And then finally he says, it is said that the command say is implied at the beginning, meaning that in order for this surah to make sense to us, is all of Surah Al-Fatiha essentially a dua, in which case at the beginning there is a hidden statement that isn't mentioned, but what it means is say, meaning that Allah is commanding us to say. That's what he's referring to. Qulu, say, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Say, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Say, it is a command from Allah Azza wa and therefore because he's saying that this is a command from Allah for us to praise him. And not Allah praising himself, not Allah telling us that he is praising himself, but a command for us to praise him, and so therefore he's saying, say, and then he goes through the surah. That is one position amongst the scholars of tafsir. The other one is that the first few verses of Al-Fatiha is Allah Azza wa praising Himself. So there is no hidden say. But the hidden say comes later on when we say, Because that is us saying, we only worship Allah. We only seek assistance from Allah. Oh Allah, guide us to the straight path. That is when the dua portion comes in. And so the beginning portion isn't a command from Allah to us to say, but rather Allah Azza wa telling us that he is worthy of praise subhanahu wa ta'ala and mentioning his other names and attributes and that Allah Azza wa knows best seems to be the majority opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir and Allah Azza wa knows best. Naam. Alhamdulillah. Praise be to Allah. Isn't the enunciatory sentence by which praise of Allah is intended? It implies that Allah alone is the possessor of all praise from creation. 
Well, that he alone merits their praise. Rabbil Alameen, the Lord of all the worlds, means that he is the king of all creatures, men, jinn, angels, animals, and other, and other things. Each of these is called a world. So there is the world of men, the world of jinn, and so forth. He governs all of them in the plural, Alameen, which indicates all of them. The word is derived from Alama, sign, because each constitutes a sign which indicates the one who brought it into existence. So we're not necessarily going to stop at every verse and give a commentary. Some of it's going to be clearer. Some of it will we'll let Ismail recite a few verses and then give an overall commentary just because of, of time issues. But for Surah Al-Fatiha, we'll go through it in slightly more detail because of its importance. He says, Alhamdulillah is an enunciatory sentence, meaning in Arabic, you would call it a jumla khabariya. Meaning that Allah Azza wa is informing us of himself that he subhanahu wa ta'ala is worthy of all praise. And the word praise in the Quran, alhamd, is a form of higher praise than what we would normally associate with the meaning of that word in the English language. To praise someone in English can mean to compliment, can be sincere, can be insincere, can be genuine or ingenuine. It can be many forms and take many shapes. Alhamdu in the Quran as an ibadah, as an act of worship, when we praise Allah, whether in al-Fatiha, whether when we sneeze, whether when someone asks us how we are and we praise Allah Azza wa in all of those forms, the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala necessitates that we have love for Allah, that we submit to Allah, that we have humbleness and humility to Allah Azza wa that we have sincerity within our hearts that Allah is worthy of all praise for all the blessings that he bestowed upon us, all the favors that he has granted to us, not least of which and the greatest of which are the, the ni'mah and the blessing of Islam and guidance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah azza wa begins the surah by praising himself. And Allah in the Quran will begin surahs by praising himself like here, like in surah al-Kahf. And he ends surahs by praising himself like at the end of surah al-Safat and surah al-Isra. And Allah Azza wa praises himself in the midst of surahs. وَآخِرُ دَعْوَاهُمْ أَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Being one such example. Meaning that Allah therefore is worthy of praise at the beginning of every issue, at the end of every issue, and in between, in the midst of every issue. And that is how the Muslim should be in terms of their praise of Allah, in terms of their outlook towards Allah Azza wa in terms of their mindset of how to deal with any situation that they're in, good or bad, difficult or easy, that they are constantly in that state of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is why Allah Azza wa begins with it. Rabb, meaning that he is the Lord, and the word Rabb can come from also the meaning of, of nurturing, which is where we get the word tarbiyah, comes from the same root word, tarbiyah, uh, it means to nurture, it means to help someone to grow. And Allah Azza wa as the Lord, gives provision. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives sustenance. And Allah Azza wa gives ben- blessings and benefits. And so, it is not just that He created us and that He is our master and that He is the one who controls us, but He is also subhanahu wa ta'ala the one who sustains us and gives us sustenance. Al Alameen, what Al Mahali rahimahullah ta'ala is basically saying here, is Al Alameen is not just humans, it is the jinn, it is animals, it is angels, it is birds, it is plants, it is every creation that is besides Allah falls under the word alameen. Everything besides Allah is alameen. And alameen, the majority of what Allah has created, alameen is the plural form in the Arabic language. And this is mentioned in the Arabic, but it's not been translated because the translators, obviously the Arabic grammar and so on is difficult to translate and we're not going to spend too much time on those points for the same reason. But alameen is the plural that refers to people of intellect, people who can use their brain and can comprehend and understand, as opposed to plants and rocks and mountains and animals and fish and birds and so on, which are not, and therefore the prophets were never sent to them, and therefore they received no revelation. 
But why does he use, even though the majority of what is in the creation of Allah falls into the category of not being able to comprehend, why does Allah use the form alameen, which refers to the creations that can comprehend, which are only humans and jinn. We are the minority compared to everything else that Allah has created. And the reason is because the Quran is meant for those people primarily. That is who it's for. It's not meant for the birds and the rocks and so on. They already believe in Allah and are obedient to Allah and they don't sin and they don't disobey Allah Azza wa Jalla and Allah commands them and they obey and so on and so forth. So therefore Allah Azza wa Jalla refers to Alameen to show that primarily it is the human and the jinn races and the species of the humans and the jinn that Allah Azza wa Jalla is referring to. And Allah knows best. Al-Rahman Al-Rahim The All-Merciful, Most-Merciful means that He is the one who possesses all mercy and to have mercy means to desire good for the object of mercy. So Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim are two names of Allah Azza wa Jal, both of them coming from the same root word of Ar-Rahma and Mercy. And this is one of those points that we mentioned in the introduction class where there is a slight issue here because the position of the two scholars, the two authors, Al-Mahalli and As-Suthi rahimahumullah, despite the illustrious status and every human is able to make mistakes and do wrong, they followed the principle of making ta'wil of sifat. They misinterpreted or sometimes negated the meaning of some of the names and attributes of Allah, as certain sects amongst the Muslims have done for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's because they consider that if we give Allah certain attributes, then Allah is like us as humans. And they have misunderstood that concept, because when Allah Azza wa says that He is merciful, that mercy is a part of His attributes. It is something which is within Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He is merciful. And that He is, subhanahu wa ta'ala, the possessor of mercy. That doesn't mean that His mercy is like our mercy. It doesn't mean that we equate Him to us. It doesn't mean the way that we understand mercy is the way that we attribute it to Allah Azza wa Jal. But what is for Allah is in a manner that befits His Majesty Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. In a manner which is befitting to Him Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So therefore when they uh, sometimes do the tafsir of these verses about the attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal, you will find the tafsir is concerning what is the result of mercy? The result of mercy meaning the desire of good. And that is the conclusion of mercy. It is one of the benefits of mercy. It is one of the results that comes about from the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us good that we benefit from. And that's them trying to take away from Allah the actual attribute and just give you kind of like the benefit of it at the end. The madhab or the aqeed of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah is that we do both. Yes, Allah Azza wa Jal gives you blessings and He gives you good and he gives you benefit and so on but that is because he subhanahu wa ta'ala himself is the possessor of mercy he is ar-rahim the difference between ar-rahman and ar-rahim and there are differences amongst the scholars of tafsir perhaps the best of those opinions that allah Azzawajal knows best is ar-rahman is more comprehensive ar-rahman is the one that shows mercy to all of his creations believers disbelievers old young good bad evil pious all of them and there is not a single creation upon the face of this earth except that it benefits in some way, shape or form from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His mercy. Whereas Ar-Rahim is specific to the mercy that Allah azza wa will give to the believers in this life and in the next. And so it is specified, this is specific to them. From that mercy is that Allah elevates their status. From that mercy is that Allah gives them His divine care and protection. From that mercy is that Allah Azza wa gives them reward for the good that they do and He increases them in that reward. From that mercy is that Allah forgives their sins and pardons their faults and saves them from the fire of hell. And that is all from that specific mercy that Allah Azza wa gives to the believers and Allah knows best. Now. The king of the day of repentance, Dean, i.e. requital. 
It is a reference to the day of rising. This is single out to be mentioned because it is clear that on that, day, on that day no one will have sovereignty except Allah Almighty, as indicated by his words. To whom does sovereignty belong today? To Allah. Some read it as Malik, the day long air, which means the owner of the entire affair of the day of rising, or the one who always bears that description, as in the forgiver of wrong action. It is valid for this grammatical form to denote an adjective or a definite noun. So this is also one of the benefits of, despite the summary of this tafsir, at the beginning already, we're only like three or four verses in, he's mentioned to us the science of Mecca and Madani. He's mentioned to us the science of Adul Ay, which is basically the counting of verses. He's mentioned to us um, the science of, of Qira'at now. He's mentioned to us the science of Arabic grammar and sarf morphology, how different words or the root word when it's changed into different forms, different tenses, how it changes the meaning and so on. And that is all done. And, and the English cannot do justice because of the translation, it is a translation of the original and because of the eloquence of the Arabic language uh, and that is no fault by the way of the translators because mashallah they have done a very good job in, in what they had and how they were able to do this but the Arabic will give you so much more depth and it gives you so much in, in a much shorter form as well, in a much more summarized and concise form as well. He's given us the, the science of Qira'at and the Qira'at are the diff, 10 different modes of recitation by which you're able to recite the Qur'an that are authentically mutawatirly, mutawatir reported from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We don't have time to go into this but on quranicprogression.org I did a whole session a special on the science of Qira'at. The 10 Qurra are Nafi' ibn Kathir, Abu Amr, ibn Amir, Asim, Hamza, Al-Kisai, Abu Ja'far, Ya'qub and Khalaf. Those are the 10 Qurra. And what he will do is he will refer to the differences in those qira'at, which sometimes can be in a difference in tajweed, or in this case here in Surah Al-Fatiha, a difference in the wording, slight adjustment in the wording and therefore in the meaning as well. So what he does, Rahimallah Ta'ala, is he often does that. He often tells you the differences between those two, those two uh, recitations. The recitation that he primarily used, Rahimahullah, the two jadals in this tafsir, is the recitation of Abu Amr and then Ibn Kathir, and then Nafi'a. These are the primary ones that he used, and they were the recitations that were predominantly in Medina, in Mecca, in, in, uh, in Basra, which is modern-day Iraq. The recitation that we're using today is the recitation of Hafsa and Asim, and that's the one that's most commonly used in the world today, but it hadn't yet entered into Egypt in the time when these two scholars were alive, and so therefore you will find these differences. So when Ismail recited, recited with the, the qira'ah of Abu Amr and others, Maliki Yawmiddin, which means king. Malik, which is the one that we normally recite with, means owner. And the difference between the two, and there are other differences, but one of them is that someone who owns doesn't necessarily have the ability to uh, dictate day to day what takes place. So for example, if I was just to give an ordinary everyday example, if someone owns a second property, a second home, and they have tenants that they bring into that house, as the owner of that property, you own it. You have the name on the title deed. But you, day to day, have no ability to do anything in that house. You can't tell them when to turn on their heating, or turn off their lights, or how to cook, or where to put their furniture. You have no day to day sovereignty there. So the owner isn't necessarily always the king. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala combines between the two. On Yawm al-Qiyamah he will own that day. Meaning that there is no greater authority, no higher authority, no one else that can come and second guess what Allah judges and dictates on that day. Wa malik, And he is the king of that day, meaning he himself will be the one to judge. 
He himself will be the one to decide. He himself will be the one to determine who goes into Jannah and who goes into the Hellfire. He will be the one on that day himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that will have all authority, all kingdom, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Day of Judgment has many names in the Qur'an, Yawm al-Din, Yawm al-Qiyamah, and many others that are mentioned throughout the Qur'an as we will go through, bi-ithnillahi ta'ala, as we go across. Now. You alone we worship, to you alone we turn, to we turn for help. This means we single you out for adoration in respect of Tawheed and other things. We seek your help in respect of worship and other things. So this is now the statement where at the beginning of Surah Fatiha in the first three verses, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmideen. We praised Allah and that is why it is the Sunnah in Dua that when you make Dua you begin your Dua by praising Allah and by thanking Allah and by mentioning Allah by His names and attributes because that is from even in you know, everyday life and Allah has the greatest of examples but even in everyday life if you really want something from someone it is good form to praise them and to thank them and to honor them and to show respect to them that is just something which we understand and Allah has the greatest and highest of examples Allah Azza begins the surah by mentioning his names and his attributes and he mentions his kingship and his ownership and he mentions his mercy and he mentions subhanahu wa ta'ala that he is the lord of everything in existence which basically therefore means that there is no one else worthy of worship no one else deserves our dua no one else deserves our salah no one else is worthy of us putting our trust in, in him subhanahu wa ta'ala there is no other god that is worthy of our sacrifice or our hope or our fear in its divine sense in its worship sense those are all things that belong to the one who has these names and attributes subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is why when we come on to number four now verse number four it is that testament it is that affirmation it is that testimony that we say that yes O oh allah therefore you are worthy of all worship and you are worthy you are the one that we seek all help and assistance from. And Allah Azza wa begins here by saying, Iyaka, you alone we worship. Which isn't the normal way we would speak. We would normally say, we worship you alone. We seek help from you alone. But Allah Azza wa changes in the Arabic language when Iyaka, when the pronoun is mentioned first, Iyaka na'budu, you alone we worship, it means exclusivity. It means that you alone, there is no one else worthy of this. And you alone do we seek help from, do we make dua to, do we seek assistance from. And to understand that is to encapsulate for us Tawheed. That is Tawheed. To know that Allah is worthy of worship alone and then to direct all that worship to him subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And that includes the belief of the heart, it includes the statement of the tongue, it includes the actions of the limbs. And so once we understand that, we see then the fallacy that is unfortunately rife even till today in many parts of the Muslim world, unfortunately, where people are still making dua to other than Allah, when people can still sacrifice to other than Allah, or they can still turn to people in their graves and because of their righteousness or because they were prophets or perhaps because of some some attribute that they possessed that Allah endowed them with, they think that they will give them children, or that they will cure their diseases and illnesses, or that they will bring them some heart, or take from them some, bring them some benefit, or take from them some harm. And that is a fallacy because it directly contradicts the very first affirmation of Tawheed that we have within the Quran. And that is that we say that Allah Azza wa Jal, you alone are worthy of all worship, and therefore you alone or the one that we seek all assistance and help from. Now. Guide us on the straight path. It means direct us to it. It is followed by its positive. So, we then make a dua. 
And this is the first, the first dua that is mentioned in the Quran, even though it is not mentioned in the form of a dua that we would normally be accustomed to even in the Quran, where Allah often begins his duas with the word Rabbi, O oh my Lord, or in the Sunnah where the Prophet would often begin his duas with Allahumma, O oh Allah. But nevertheless, it is still a dua because we are asking Allah for what is one of his or what is his greatest blessing, and that is the blessing of guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you wealth, He gives you children, He gives you health, He gives you so many blessings. All of those blessings combined are insignificant to the blessing of understanding who Allah is and worshipping Him alone and having tawheed. If you have that blessing of guidance and tawheed, everything else becomes insignificant. Whereas if you have every other blessing, as Allah mentions countlessly throughout the Quran, in the stories of the prophets, in the story of Pharaoh, in the story of Qanun, in so many countless stories of the Quran, and as we saw practically in the example of the Prophet with Quraysh against Abu Jahl and against Abu Lahab and those other leaders and noblemen of Quraysh, that if you have every other blessing but you are you are deprived from Tawheed, then in essence you have nothing. So the dua is, Oh Allah, guide us to the straight path. And that is the dua that we make. And it has an added meaning, a secondary meaning, that once we have been guided, oh Allah, keep us firm upon the straight path. And that is the dua that we make, because if Allah has guided you to being a Muslim and you have Islam, then what is its meaning as it relates to me and you then, when we recite it every single time in our salah and outside of salah, it means, oh Allah, keep us firm. Thabitna, keep us firm and steadfast upon the straight path, upon your straight path. And that is mentioned in the sunnah, in the hadith of, I believe Umm Salama radiallahu anha, when someone asked her, what was the most common dua that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would make? She said that the most common dua I heard him make is, Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Oh, the one who turns the hearts, make my heart firm and steadfast upon your religion. And that is the same meaning. And Allah azza wa will mention this elsewhere in the Quran, Rabbana la tuzik qulubana ba'da idh hadaytana. And in other verses of the Quran, oh Allah, don't make our hearts go astray after you granted them guidance. And so the Muslim is the one who even once they have Islam and Allah has given them guidance, they never take it for granted. They never feel safe and secure thinking that I have guidance and therefore nothing else can happen to me or harm me. But rather the believer is the one who is constantly aware that their, their faith and what they have in their heart, only Allah knows how secure it is. And that's why it is so precious to us. And that's why we work so hard day and night every single day and night to keep and preserve that iman and that guidance and that tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal in our speech, in our actions, in our heart, in our dealings, in our interactions, in our character, in the way that we hold ourselves and in the way that we just conduct ourselves because we understand the preciousness of that, of that ni'mah, of that blessing. And those people who don't understand, especially in this month of Ramadan, just driving to the masjid, Muslims who are smoking, Muslims who seem to be eating and drinking, Muslims who even in this month of Ramadan, you don't see any change in their character or in them. They've taken the concept of hidayah, of, 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 of guidance for granted. And that is one of the most dangerous situations to be in for a person to feel that secure within themselves and it is not the sign of the believer but it is the sign of nifaq and hypocrisy may Allah Azza wa save us from that and that is why when Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran in a verse that we will come to in a few juz Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that when the people of Jannah will enter into Jannah they will say Alhamdulillah alladhi hadana lihadha وَمَا كُنَّا لِنَهْتَدِيَ لَوْلَا أَنْ هَدَانَ اللَّهُ All praises for Allah who guided us to this and we would never have been guided to this were it not for the guidance of Allah Azza wa Jal. It is followed by its a positive meaning, a badal, meaning that Allah Azza wa Jal now goes on to mention 
what is the Sirat al Mustaqim? He goes on to define it now. Sirat al Ladina al Nantalayim, the path of those you have blessed, meaning with guidance. Ghayril Makhubi alayhim, not of those with anger on them, who are the Jews. Walabbalim, not of the misguided, who are the Christians. The grammatical structure here shows that those who are guided are not the Jews or the Christians. Allah Almighty knows best what is correct and to whom is the return and the homecoming. May Allah bless our Master Muhammad and his family and companions and grant them abundant peace, glories and forever. Allah is enough for us and the best protector. is no strength, no power except by Allah to hide the image. So, in the final verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah goes on to explain what is the path that Allah has chosen as being his straight path. And the Prophet ﷺ in a hadith, he drew a line and then he drew lines to the right and left and he said that this line is the line or this path is the path that takes you to Allah. Meaning the path to Allah is straight in the sense that there is no deviation in it, there is no crookedness in it, there is no contradiction in it, there is no evil that Allah calls to. Allah says that is the path of those that he has blessed. And those that he has blessed are those who follow the Qur'an, those who follow the Prophet ﷺ, those who follow... The, the teachings of Tawheed, those who follow the path of the companions and so on, all of those meanings are included in An'amta alayhim. And if you were to go to Ibn Kathir and some of the longer uh, books of Tafsir, you will find different statements of the scholars of the Salaf that the straight path means the Quran, or he means the Sunnah, or he means Tawheed, or he means this and that. And essentially what they're doing is they're giving you examples. And all of them mean the same thing. Because to follow the Qur'an means to follow the Sunnah. And to follow the Sunnah means to follow the Qur'an. And to follow both of them means to follow the paths of the companions and vice versa. And Tawheed and good deeds and so on. All of them are together. And that is an important point to remember. If you want to be a serious student of knowledge is to understand the methodology of the scholars of Tafsir past and present. And how often in the early works of Tafsir, when the scholars of Tafsir used to give Tafsir, they would give Tafsir by example. Meaning that they mean, they all intend the same thing, but they're only giving different examples that refer to the same thing, like in this verse. Sirat al-ladheena na'amta alayhim. Therefore, the path of Allah that you have blessed. From the, um, you know, one of the more uh, minute or finer deductions of tafsir that I found is what Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentioned in his tafsir, Adwa'ul Bayan, which is an amazing work of tafsir. And Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin, rahimahullah, only passed away in the last century. He's from the teacher of our teachers. So he didn't live too long ago, alayhi rahmatullah, and he was from the early professors of the Islamic University of Medina in Saudi Arabia. He says that in this verse is a dalil, an, uh, an evidence, to show the, 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 that the straight path includes, and it shows a proof as to the validity of the khilaf of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And that is because Allah Azza wa Jal says, this is the path of those that you have blessed, an'amta alayhim. And Allah tells us elsewhere in the Qur'an, فَأُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ And then he names them, مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّقِينَ وَالشُهَدَاءُ وَالصَّالِحِينَ And they are those, and they will be with those that you have blessed, O Allah, from the prophets, and from the truthful, and from the martyrs, and from the righteous. And from the truthful, as-siddiqeen is, and the first of them is Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And that is, shows you how amazing and how deep the Qur'an is. And this isn't a tafsir that we will be able to do commonly or frequently because of how much time it takes. But I will mention this here and there sometimes just to show to you of how much more depth there is to this Qur'an. And it is a mistake for a person to come to a tafsir like this and finish it and think that they have clocked the Qur'an, that they have all of the tafsir of the Qur'an. This is essentially your base platform. This is your foundation. This is what you need to understand and memorize and kind of master but whilst understanding that there is so much more 
that is available in other works and in other books. May Allah Azza wa Jal give us the ability to understand that غير المغضوب عليهم الضالين often the scholars of tafsir say that غير المغضوب عليهم refers to the Jewish community or الضالين is the Christian community or at least some of them and that is because المغضوب عليهم those that have angered Allah the description of them are those people who have knowledge but they don't act according to their knowledge. And so that is the description that Allah Azza wa Jal and the Sunnah of the Prophet gave to the Jewish community. والضالين, those who have gone astray, meaning those who have no knowledge and yet they still act, meaning they act upon ignorance. Both of them are not allowed in Islam. For you to know that something is halal or haram, right or wrong, wajib or not wajib for you, it is the opposite of being, it is obligatory or prohibited for you. And for you to ignore that means that you are following not the straight path that Allah has laid down for us, but the path of those people who did that before us. Those people who were given knowledge and knew the difference between right and wrong and what pleases Allah and doesn't please Allah, yet they still chose to follow a path other than the path of Allah. Or those people who act without any knowledge. They're ignorant. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't even know how to differentiate. They don't, they don't have any desire to learn or seek knowledge or come closer to Allah through that act of worship of seeking knowledge, yet they will still be determined and still be you know, gung-ho about this is our religion and this is correct and this is right as if they have encompassed all of knowledge as if they've studied for decades and they have gone through every manuscript and every textbook in Islam and that is because of their ignorance and Allah Azza wa warns us against being from either of those two groups of people and this is then the end of Surah Al-Fatiha and as you can see here Al-Mahalli then ends as you would end a book by praising Allah and by sending Salat and Islam upon the Prophet because this is where his tafsir ended and before he could continue with Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah Azza wa Jal decreed that he would pass away. And so in Surah Al-Baqarah now we begin with the tafsir of his student, As-Suyuti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, who is one of the greatest scholars of Islam and one of the most prolific authors of Islam. Some six, seven hundred, some scholars say over a thousand works he authored during his 90 odd years that Allah Azza wa Jal granted him in life from the scholars of Egypt. Both of these scholars also from the scholars of the Shafi'i Madhab. Now, actually before we begin that, I want to read to you the, uh, something which the translators didn't translate, um, which I think is an oversight on their part, and that is the muqaddimah, the introduction that Imam Suyuti gives himself to the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, to his half of the tafsir of the Qur'an. And he says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi hamdan, muwafiyan li ni'amihi, mukafiyan li mazidih. All praises due to Allah in acknowledgement of all of his many blessings and in, 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 in recognizing his many favors. And may the blessings and salutation of Allah be upon his messenger Muhammad, his family, his companions, and upon his armies. الذي كتبه وألفه الإمام العلامة المحقق جلال الدين محمد بن أحمد المحلي الشافعي رحمه الله تعالى He said that this is what the people need what there is a real and dire need for because to have a long tafsir is difficult but to have a shorter concise tafsir is something which is more approachable more usable easily uh, you know, easily something which people can take. He said this is what the need requires in terms of completing the tafsir of the Qur'an that the great scholar and imam Jalaluddin al-Mahalli rahimahullah began and to complete what he was unable to complete and that is from the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah Surah Al-Isra from the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah to the end of Surah Al-Isra He says continuing 
in the way that he began, meaning following his methodology and style, and we mentioned that in greater detail in the introductory lecture that we did on Tuesday, min dhikri ma yufhamu bihi, kalamullahi ta'ala, by mentioning how to understand the speech of Allah Azza wa Jal, and that is tafsir. Tafsir is not my deduction, it's not what I think, it's not my contemplation, it is how do you understand the speech of Allah Azza wa Jal based on firm established principles. وَلِعْتِمَادُ عَلَىٰ أَرْجَحِ الْأَقْوَالِ and basing that understanding upon the strongest of opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir. And speaking about Arabic grammar when and where it is needed. And it is something which they do often. In the translation you won't find it, but if we go back to the original in Arabic, Arabic grammar and morphology is something that they place a great deal of emphasis on, even though he will say now that it's only something which I did as and when required. It is something that they have done a great deal of. And by mentioning the different qiraat that are well known and that are widely accepted, meaning the mutawatir qiraat. And that is to be, you know, to give credit where credit is due. One of the great things about this translation, the Darul Taqwa one, is that they have kept within it the qiraat and its differences to their best to the best of their ability. And that is a great credit to them because it would have been easy to remove that also. On the same basis, that is not something which is widely understood or known. Ala wajhin latif He says, I will do all of this with very concise words. And as I said in Arabic, they are indeed very concise words. And without going into explanation and detail concerning the statements that are not correct, that don't seem to be the strongest opinions. And by going through the different principles of Arabic grammar that should be found in the books of Arabic grammar. Wallaha asal and nafabihi fi dunya wal akhira and ask Allah Azza wa Jal that he grants it and makes it beneficial in this life and the next. Wahsan al Jaza alihi fil uqba bimani wa karibi and that Allah Azza wa Jal gives us great reward for this through his blessing and through his favour and grace. And that is his very brief introduction to the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah. And so now we begin with the second surah of the Quran, which is Surah Al-Baqarah, which has also a number of virtues from them. is a hadith in Sahih Muslim, which the Prophet Sallallahu said, recite Surah Al-Baqarah at home and don't make your homes into a graveyard. And from them is a hadith of Abu Umama, radiyallahu anhu, in Sahih Al-Bukhari, which the Prophet Sallallahu told us that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, Surah Al-Baqarah and Ali Imran will come as a flock of birds or as clouds and they will give shade to the people who recited them in this world on a day that there will be no shade on the day of judgment except the shade that Allah grants to people. May Allah Azza wa give us from that shade. Now. Surah Al-Baqarah. Surah Al-Baqarah is Medina and contains 286 ayahs. So, surah Al-Baqarah is a Medinan surah and that is the position of uh, the scholars of tafsir and many of them are of the opinion that it was the first surah to be revealed in the Medinan period which basically means post-hijrah. And any surah that is revealed post-hijrah is considered Medinan, even if it was revealed in Mecca, in the conquest of Mecca, or in the farewell hajj. So it's under, important to understand that distinction. It is a, ver- a surah that contains 286 verses, and it is one of those surahs that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned and gave to us its name. There are surahs of the Qur'an that we have their name mentioned to us explicitly in the Sunnah, like Al-Fatiha, like Baqarah, like Ali Imran, like Falak, like Nas, like Mulk, like Al-Kahf, like Ikhlas, and so on. And then there are other surahs in which there is no explicit mention of them by name in the Sunnah. And that is where you have the companions and others giving them names, and that's why sometimes you have more than one name for a surah. However, in our time now, the surahs of the Qur'an more or less have names that have become, they have become well known by, and names that they have become famous by, and those are the names that are that they are referred with. Alif Lam 
Allah knows best what is meant by this. Alif Lam Mim. Many of the surahs of the Quran begin with these letters that are called in Arabic Al-Huruf Al-Muqatta'at. Individual letters that are brought together. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best what it is. And amongst the scholars of Tafsir, there are many, many different opinions as to what they refer to. The strongest of them is, as As-Suyuti mentions. However, I think that there is a slight mistake in the translation that we have here. Allah knows best what is meant by this. What As-Suyuti says in his actual Tafsir, Allahu a'lamu bimuradihi bidhalik. Allah knows best what he intended by that. Not what is meant by this. Because a letter, it has no meaning in and of itself. If I was to say to you A, B, C, D, and you said to me, what does that mean? It doesn't make sense. A, B, C has no meaning. It is a letter by in and of itself has no meaning. So what they actually say, and it is a very, and this is important when you study tafsir, the scholars, especially of the past, were very, very precise in their wording. And so to give a general vague translation sometimes takes away what they were referring to. Allahu a'lamu bimuradihi bidharik. Allah knows best what he intended by that. Meaning that we understand what alif is and lam is and meme is and qaf is and yasin is. These are letters that we understand that the Arabs were familiar with, that we today are familiar with, that the Quran comprises of from cover to cover. But what do they mean in this form here at the beginning of these surahs? That is what we don't know. And that's why they say Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best what is intended by that. Now. That, meaning this, is the book Muhammad sallallahu recites without any doubt or uncertainty about the fact that is from Allah. The use of the word that indicates great esteem. It contains guidance, meaning that the book itself guides for the God-fearing, muttaqun. They are those who have taqwa, meaning that they obey the commands of Allah and avoid his prohibitions in order to save themselves from the fire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions at the very beginning of the Qur'an the importance of the Qur'an and the meaning of the Qur'an. And the first question that I'm going to give to you today, then inshallah ta'ala Ismail will remind me to answer tomorrow, because I'll probably forget, uh, is uh, the question at the beginning of verse number two. And that is that Allah Azza wa Jal begins by saying ذَلِكَ ذَلِكَ in the Arabic language as you have in the translation here is that. And sometimes if you look at other translations of the Qur'an they will translate it as this. And that's because ذَلِكَ literally linguistically means that. And that is used for something that is further away. Whereas this is for something which is closer. But the meaning is as is mentioned here as well in the translation. The Qur'an, Allah is referring to the Qur'an for it refers to it as being something distant. Even though the Qur'an is in front of us, when you're reciting the Qur'an, you're reciting from something that is in front of you and with you. The question therefore is, what, why did Allah Azza wa use that when the meaning is this? When we're referring to this Qur'an, why refer to it as being something further away? That. That is the first question that I want you to ponder over, inshaAllah, and that we will answer tomorrow. And that is, this is from the eloquence of the Qur'an. That is Suyuti does mention in the Arabic. Uh, for those of you that want to refer to that, but there are more opinions than just what As-Suyuti Ta'ala mentions in his tafsir. What is the purpose of that? It is from the points of tafsir that the Jalalain mentioned, and that is the eloquence of the Quran that is in and of itself a science. muttaqin. It is for those people who are, uh, there is no doubt in this book, it is for those people who have taqwa, and taqwa as we understand is to create between ourselves and Allah a barrier by doing good deeds and staying away from haram. We, not, not between us and Allah, but rather between us and the punishment of Allah, a barrier. By doing good deeds and staying away from that which is haram. No. Those who believe in the unseen, affirming things they cannot see, such as the resurrection, the garden, and the fire. We in and establish the prayer, meaning performing it with all its requirements. 
and spend from what we have provided for them. Spending what they have been given in ways commensurate with obedience to Allah. So Allah Azza wa Jal, as I said, I won't stop at every verse, but there are some points that we have to mention in slightly more detail. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing these people who are, in very general terms, believers. They are mu'mineen. And from the attributes of those believers who have taqwa and have that piety of Allah and that God consciousness of Allah and that are feeling of Allah Azza wa Jal is that they believe in the unseen. There is a, and, and this is not a mistake in the translation, but Siyuti refers to iman as being tasdiq. Just belief, meaning that you affirm something in your heart, and that is the definition which is found in some sects of Islam, but it is not the definition of Ahlul Sunnah. The definition of Ahlul Sunnah of Iman is that it is belief of the heart, an affirmation of the tongue, and action of the limbs. And it was the previous, or other sects rather, that used to say that Iman is just in the heart, meaning that your actions don't, don't determine your Iman, doesn't affect your Iman, doesn't, and Iman doesn't increase with good deeds, and it doesn't decrease with evil deeds, and so on and so forth. And so they had that different understanding of Iman, which goes against the clear text of the Qur'an, as we will see in a number of verses that we will study, inshallah, throughout this month, and what is mentioned in the clear sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, and what is the established position of the companions and the scholars of Islam. And that is that Iman is more than just affirming. So these people have Iman, meaning they affirm in their hearts, and they attest upon their tongues, and their actions also conform to believing in Allah Azza wa Jalla in every form, and from that belief is to believe that Allah, or to believe in what Allah has mentioned of the unseen, from the from what will happen in the grave, al Qiyamah, paradise, hellfire, so on and so forth. And they establish the prayer that is from the greatest of their attributes that they are people of salah. People who don't just pray once in a while or in Ramadan or on Fridays, but each and every day those five times are as precious to them, if not more so, than anything else in this world because they understand it as being one of the cornerstones of their religion and they spend from that which we have given to them and that refers to charity and zakah and so on. وَمَا أُنزِلَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ And what was sent down before you, meaning the Torah, the Gospel, and other revelations. وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُوْقِنُونَ And are certain about the next world, meaning they know definitively that it exists. أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَىٰ هُدًا مِّنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ They, meaning those who described above, are the people guided by their Lord. They are the ones who have success. So in these two verses, 4 and 5, Allah Azza wa now completes the portion of this surah, the beginning passage of this surah that speaks about the attributes of the believers. They are from also from, in addition to them believing in the unseen, praying, giving charity, from their description also is that they believe in that which was revealed to you. And As-Suyuti defines that as being the Qur'an, but many of the scholars of Tafsir, Sheikh Sa'adi, Ibn Al-Thaymeer, and others, said that it is not just the Qur'an, but also the revelation of the Sunnah, everything that was revealed to the Prophet which isn't just the Qur'an, but it is also his revelation that was given to him that we consider to be the Sunnah, as Allah says in Surah Al-Najm, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ and we, you, he doesn't speak of just his own desires and whims, but rather it is revelation that has been given to him which includes therefore the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. They believe in all of that, as well as what Allah ﷺ sent down before, which includes the different scriptures that Allah revealed to the different various prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which isn't just the Torah or the Gospel or the Bible. It refers to the Zabur, the Psalms, and the scrolls that were given to Ibrahim ﷺ, and every other scripture that was given to a prophet that we may not know about that Allah ﷺ revealed. Those are the people who have all of this. 
who conform to all of these attributes, who meet all of these requirements, those are the people who have actual guidance. So when Allah says that in the Quran there is guidance for the muttaqeen, Allah now tells you how to attain that guidance. These are the requirements. If you have this, then you are those that have got guidance from Allah. You are from those people who have, uh, who, who, who will be from the successful. These four verses from Dalik al-Kitab, uh, from Alladina yu'minuna bil ghayb uh, or these yeah, four verses from Dalik al-Kitab until Ulaika ala hudam min rabbihim. These verses up to verse number six. The scholars of Tafsir differed as to who it's referring to. One position is that it's referring to the believers of the people of the book. The people of the book who accepted Islam. This is what Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to in these four, four verses. This is who Allah is speaking to or about. The second position, which was the position that was favored by Imam al-Tabari, ta'ala, the Imam amongst the scholars of Tafsir, he is considered to be a leader amongst the scholars of Tafsir. He said that the first two verses, refers to the believers of this ummah, and the other two verses, those who believe in what was revealed to you, and those who came before you, and then verse number, uh, the, 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 those two verses refer to the believers of the people of the scriptures. So he divided the verses into believers from this ummah and believers of the people of the scripture. And then we have, uh, finally, uh, the position of many of the scholars of tafsir and the more general position, and that is the position favored by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, amongst others, is that it refers to everyone, all believers, whether from this ummah or from people who were non-Muslim and accepted Islam or people who were Jews and Christians and then became Muslim, it refers to all of them. And the reason why they base this upon this is due to the statement of Mujahid, rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous student of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu an, that he said that the first four verses in Al-Baqarah refer to the believers. Then two verses refer to the disbelievers. Then 13 verses after that will refer to the hypocrites. And that is the statement that is the statement of Mujahid, the famous scholar of tafsir. And that seems to be what is more apparent and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And so now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next two verses will speak about the opposite. What is the opposite? So what is the, the position of this surah or, or, the, or the point of, these, of mentioning these people? In surah Al-Fatiha we had the essence of Islam which is our belief in Allah, which is following the straight path, which is worshipping Allah Azza wa alone, which means following the sunnah of the Prophet And then Allah Azza wa begins the surah by mentioning the importance of following the guidance that has been given. This is how people now interact with, the, with that principle. How do people respond? What are the categories of people in regards to that principle? You have believers that Allah speaks about in four verses. Then you have the disbelievers and Allah only mentions them in two verses because their affair is easy and clear and it's manifest. And then in 13 verses, the hypocrites. And because of their danger, because of their, the difference between the external and internal state, you have clearly the need for more information and more detail. Now. As for those who disbelieve, such as Abu Jan, Abu Lahab, and their like, makes no difference to them whether you want them or do not want them, they will not believe. Allah knows that about them, so it is no good desiring them to believe. Warning someone means telling them about something or trying to give them fear of it to avert them from it. Allah has sealed up their hearts, meaning by stamping a coating of them and making them solid so that no good is able to penetrate them. And hearing, precluding them from benefiting from what they hear of the truth. And over their eyes is a blindfold, 
meaning a covering preventing them from seeing the truth. They will have a terrible punishment which will be severe and everlasting. So in these two verses Allah Azzawajal describes the disbelievers and Asriyati Rahimahullah Ta'ala gives an example meaning like Abu Jahl and like Abu Lahab and obviously it is not just exclusive to them but they are mentioned by way of example Pharaoh before them and you know Umayy ibn Khalaf after them and every other disbeliever that comes is referred, being referred to here. Those are the people in the Ladina Kafaru it is equal to them. You warn them, you don't warn them, meaning that there are people who even if you warn them, they don't accept that warning, they don't take that heed, and therefore they do not believe. Allah Azzawajal has sealed their hearts because of their refusal to disbelieve. Not because they were unable, Allah had already sealed their hearts before they even received that warning, before they even heard the message, but because of their constant refusal, Allah Azzawajal decreed that they would have their hearts sealed, and their hearing sealed, and their eyes sealed. And therefore the result of that is that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah they will enter into the fire which will be the greatest of punishments. And now Allah Azza wa will go into speaking about the third category and that is the Munafiqeen. In the Meccan period there were no hypocrites. You were either Muslim or not Muslim. Because if you were a Muslim but you were invested in Islam, you were a hypocrite, didn't make sense because you'd be tortured and you'd be persecuted and you'd be harmed and you'd be punished. But now in the Medinan period, the Muslims are strong and they have wealth and they are winning battles and they have a state to themselves. And so there are people now who see the benefit of being a Muslim outwardly, whereas inwardly, there are still people who harbor disbelief and enmity towards the Prophet wasallam and the Muslims. And because of their danger, Allah will speak about them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to us in detail their attributes and their description. And for us today as Muslims, it is a warning to be careful not to fall into those descriptions or not let any of those attributes be upon us as well. This ayah was revealed about the hypocrites. Among the people, there are some who say, we believe in Allah and the last day, meaning the day of rising because it is the last of all days. When they do not believe. They think they deceive Allah and those who believe, meaning by outwardly displaying something different from their concealed unbelief so as to avert worldly judgments from themselves. They deceive, read as no one but themselves, because the evil effect of their deceit come back on them and they are disgraced in this world since Allah has acquainted His Prophet with what they are concealing. And they will also be punished in the next world. وَمَا يَشْعُونَ But they are not aware of it. They do not know that they are deceiving themselves. Here, the attempt at deceit, مُخَادَعَةَ comes from one side. Although the verbal noun can imply reciprocity. So, Allah Azza wa then goes on to speak about the hypocrites. And he says that they are from amongst them those people who say that we believe, meaning outwardly, but not within their hearts. And that shows that clearly to be a Muslim, it is not just about the verbal statement. Some, for someone to say, La ilaha illallah on their tongue, if they don't believe it in their heart, has no benefit. It doesn't bring them into the fold of Islam. It is therefore prerequisite of Iman, as well as the affirmation of the tongue, as well as the action of the hearts, which are part of Iman. The main component of Iman is always in the heart and the affirmation of the heart, that belief in the heart of Allah Azza wa By doing so, Allah says, they think that they are deceiving Allah and deceiving those who believe. They think that they are tricking Allah. That Allah doesn't know their state, that Allah doesn't know what they believe, that Allah doesn't know what they hide and conceal within their hearts. And Allah Azza wa as Asiyyuti Rahmanullah Ta'ala points out, is recited in two ways. يُخَادِعُونَ أَنْ يَخْدَعُونَ 
يخادعون الله والذين آمنوا وما يخادعون وما يخدعون يخادعون بين the recitation of نافع ابن كثير نبو عمر and يخدعون بين the recitation of the other seven remaining reciters no one but themselves meaning Allah says that they don't actually trick anyone they don't deceive anyone the only people that they harm in this false sense of belief is themselves when they will come on the day of judgment and see the true nature of what their actions earn for them but they don't understand that it's not something which is at the moment computing in their brains because of their lack of iman and their lack of belief again here there is an issue in the way that Ta'ala mentions this attribute of, of that is being ascribed here to Allah and that is that Allah is not someone who, uh, who is, is deceived but that rather the one who tries to deceive Allah, Allah will deceive them. As Allah says elsewhere in the Quran, As Allah says elsewhere in the Quran. The way that the scholars who, or the way that those sects who try to remove these attributes from Allah, the way that they interpret this is, as he said, that it comes from one side. Meaning that it is only the, the hypocrites that are deceiving Allah. Only from the one side. Even though he acknowledges that the form yukhadi'una, which is the other qira'a, wa ma yukhadi'una, infers reciprocity, what is it? Reciprocity, which basically means that it's from both sides. And that is the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah. And basically what it means, and these attributes like Allah Azza wa plotting, like Allah Azza wa deceiving those who try to deceive him, are only mentioned and affirmed for Allah in, uh, as a result of, or... Um, in opposition to those who try to do it to Allah. So when you try to plot against Allah, Allah plots against you. When you try to deceive Allah, Allah deceives you. Meaning that we don't say that Allah is a plotter, that Allah is deceitful. Those are not, and Allah is free from those types of attributes. But when someone tries to deceive you, but you understand that deception, and you turn that deception upon them and make it a problem to them, that is not a now a, a, an attribute that is deficient but rather it is an attribute that is powerful and complete in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal and as it befits to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when Allah Azza wa Jal, he says that these people are trying to deceive him, Allah says that he knows before their deceit, that they are being deceitful, that they are lying. And Allah will turn the deceit upon them. And they are the ones who will suffer its loss. And they are the ones who on the day of judgment will be punished as a result of it. And so it is important to understand these attributes of Allah, not by trying to take away their meaning, by thinking that in some way, by affirming them, we do some disservice to Allah Azza wa Jal, but rather Allah is more knowledgeable and more knowing of what he ascribes to himself in the Quran and what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ascribed to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what is important is to understand them in their correct way, in the way that they were understood by the companions and the early scholars of Islam. There is a sickness in their hearts, meaning taking the form of doubt and hypocrisy. It is an illness of the heart because it weakens it. And Allah has increased their sickness, meaning through the Quran, revealing their unbelief. They will have a painful punishment on account of their denial. Read as yukadibun and yakdibun. The former means denial and refers to their denial of the Prophet Wasallam. The latter means lying and refers to their lying when they said, we believe. When they, meaning these people, are told, do not cause corruption on the earth, meaning by unbelief and twisting away from belief. They say, we are only putting things right. They only reply that they were not causing corruption, 
Therefore, Allah repeats them in the next ayah. أَلَا إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ الْمُفْسِدُونَ وَلَكِنْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ No, indeed. This is a notification of the truth of the matter. They are the corruptors. They are not aware of that. So Allah Azza wa goes on to mention that they have a sickness in their heart, these people who have the sickness of nifaq within their hearts. And because of that sickness, it only increases them in evil. And when it increases them in evil, the sickness increases within their heart. And so it is a circle that goes round and round. And the only thing that can break that circle of illness and disease within their hearts is tawheed and the belief in Allah Azza wa Jal. And the sickness of the heart is always more detrimental, more dangerous than the sickness of the body, the physical sickness. Even though we're going through this difficult situation at the moment, may Allah Azza wa Jal relieve it from us. Allah Azza wa Jalla in the Quran will concentrate more on the internal sicknesses and diseases of the heart than he ever does on the physical ailments that a person can be afflicted with. And that is because the situation of the heart is what Allah Azza wa Jalla looks at first and foremost in this life and the next. These are people who turn away from Allah Azza wa Jalla, they turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because of it they have that painful torment bima kanu yakdhibun which is the qira'ah of Asim and Hamza al-Kisai and yukadhibun. They yakdhibun and yukadhibun, meaning that they denied the Prophet and that they considered him to be a lie. They rejected and they considered what he bought to be a lie. And so they turned away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the people who if you say to them, why are you doing evil? Why are you doing harm? Why are you acting in this way? They say, no, we only intend to do good. And that is part of their deceit that they think that they place upon the eyes of the disbelievers. Even in our time today, when you have people who try to change our religion for their own benefits or to say that actually Islam should mean this or do this or change the laws of Allah that have been established by unanimity, by consensus amongst the scholars of Islam or change what is a cornerstone of this religion in the way that it is understood and has been studied for centuries and generations with the claim that it is beneficial, that it is good. That is a sign of nifaq and it is from the attributes that Allah mentions in the Quran. Allah says, Indeed, no, actually they are people who do evil and they are people who cause corruption. When they are told, believe in the way that the people, meaning the companions of the Prophet believe, they say, they say, what? Are we to believe in the way that the fools, meaning the ignorant, believe? What they are saying is, do not do as they do. The Almighty repeats them, tells, them, tells us about them. No, indeed, they are the fools. They do not know that. When they meet those who believe, they say, we believe. But when they go apart and return to their shaytans, who are their leaders, they say, we are really with you in your religion. We were only mocking them by making a display of belief. Allah But Allah is mocking them to repay them for their mocking. And drawing them on, meaning by granting them a respite, as they wander blindly in the excessive insolence. They wander, bewildered, going to and fro in their overstepping of the proper bounds through their so Allah Azza wa then continues again still with these attributes of the hypocrites that they are those people who when it is said to them follow the path of the Prophet Sallallahu follow the way of the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een they say do you think that we should believe like these fools and ignorant believe, believe 
and that is from the attributes of nifaq to look down upon the believers to consider them to be insufficient or ignorant or people who are not worthy in some way shape or form or to consider yourself more enlightened more well read because you think that the sharia is in some way backward or the way that the scholars of the past understood it is backward and how rampant is this in our time and how much is islam being attacked by this very same argument and justification that people come thinking that they know better than what allah has laid down what the prophet laid down how the companions understood this religion and that's why the scholars of old like ibn mas'ud and others would say man kana mustannan Whoever wishes to follow someone, let them follow those who came before who have passed away because those who are living, you can never be safe from their fitna and from their trials. Therefore, Allah says it is from their attributes to behave in that manner, to be derogatory, to look down, to sneer towards them and say, these are people that don't know what it is, what, what it is that they are saying. And there are those people who then when they return when they're with the believers, they claim belief. But when they return back to their own friends, to their people, and Allah calls them shayateen and devils because of the evil of the conspiracy that they commit, they say that we were only joking. We were only mocking. Allahu yastahazi'ubim. But it is Allah who mocks at them. And again, this is one of those attributes that is, as Allah says, and we don't try to misinterpret or change its meaning. But what it means is in relation to their mocking, Allah mocks them. Because to deceive or to mock only works if the other person doesn't realize what's happening. Someone who's foolish doesn't know that they're being deceived. Someone who's foolish doesn't know that you're making fun of them or that you're plotting against them. But if someone already knows your deceit, they can see through your plot, they can see through your deception, they can see that you're trying to make fun of them and then they turn it on you, that is not weakness but rather it is more strength. And that is something that is praiseworthy as it's seen in wars that have taken place all over the era of humankind. One of the things that was always praised about generals and leaders of war is when they saw the deception of their enemies and they were able to change that deception and turn it back on them. And Allah has the greatest of examples. They think that they are mocking Allah, deceiving Allah. Allah says he is the one who in reality is mocking them and they will see that when they come on the day of judgment to be uh, punished for their deeds now. Those are the people who have sold guidance for misguidance, meaning exchanging one for the other. The trade has brought no profit. Rather, they have suffered a loss by going to the fire forever. They are not guided, meaning what they have done. Their likeness, meaning in their hypocrisy, is that of people who light a fire meaning in the darkness. And then when it has lit up all around them, so they are able to see and can warm themselves and temporarily escape their fear. Allah removes, meaning extinguishes, their light and leaves them in darkness, unable to see what is around them. They are fearful and bewildered, not knowing which way to turn. This is the case for those who make a false show of belief in this world. When they die, they will experience fear and punishment. Death, meaning to the truth, so they are unable to accept it. Dumb, meaning to uttering good. Blind, meaning to the path of guidance, so they, so they are unable to see it. They will not return. Allah Azza says that these are people who have chosen rather to accept guidance, they have sold it for the paltry price, for the insignificant price of getting misguidance instead. And that is never a, a trade that will be profitable. It is never 
a, a, a buy a, a, a trade or a commerce that will ever give them any benefit in this life and the next. And then Allah Azza wa shows through parables, and a parable is given to bring a concept closer to the mind and closer and make it more relatable and easier to understand. Allah Azza wa gives to us the parable of these people. There are those people who have a light, a fire that they light. And then when Allah Azza wa sees their fire, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes away from them that light and they are left in darkness. Meaning that they think that they are people who have guidance, that they are on good, that they have something which is beneficial. But in fact what Allah Azza wa says is they are like the deaf, dumb and blind. Meaning that all of their senses are sealed, that they will not accept guidance in any way, shape or form. Nor is guidance beneficial to them in any of those ways that they are able to receive it. Because you receive guidance either by hearing or by seeing or by comprehending what you hear and what you see. أو كصيب من السماء. Now comes another metaphor for the hypocrites, likening them to the people in the thunderstorm or that of the storm cloud. صيب from the verb from the verb صاب يصوب meaning to come down, meaning a dense black cloud which comes down out of the sky in the sky. فيه ظلمات ورعد وبرق full of layers of darkness, thunder, which is the angel in charge of it. For for is also said to be the sound it makes and lightning. Which reinforces the sound of thunder by which they are renewed. They put the tips of their fingers in their ears, meaning trying to protect them against the ear-splitting thunderclaps, so that they so that they do not hear them, fearful of death. They fear death when they hear them. This is a metaphor for what happened with some people when the Quran was revealed. Their unbelief is likened to the darkness of the cloud, the Quranic threat to thunder and the vivid clarity of his arguments to lightning. Like, like they block their ears so as not to hear it, out of fear that it might make them inclined to believe and abandon their religion. They consider that to be tantamount to death. Wallahu muhiqun bil kafirin. Allah encompasses the unbelievers with his knowledge and power and they cannot escape him. The lightning all that takes away their sight, meaning when it flashes on them suddenly. Whenever they have light, meaning from its flash, they walk in it. But whenever darkness covers them, they halt, meaning when it goes dark again. This is a metaphor of how what is in the Quran alarms their hearts. They affirm things they like in it, but stop at what they dislike. If Allah wished, He could take away their hearing and their sight. Meaning both outward and inward. Inna Allah ala kulli shayin qadir. Allah has power over all things and can do whatever He wills, including removing what was mentioned. So Allah Azza wa now finishes or completes or concludes the description of the hypocrites, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives another example, and that is the example of the storm cloud that comes, and the thunder that comes with it. And He mentions, Rahimahullah Taala, Suyuti in His tafsir. Is the angel in charge of it or is also said to be the sound that it makes? And what he's referring to there is the hadith, the authentic hadith in the Tirmidhi of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhumah, that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-ra'du malakun min al-malaika, min malaikatillah. The thunder is an angel from the angels of Allah that is entrusted with the rain clouds. It pulls them with chains that are made of fire and it drags them wherever Allah azza wa orders and commands it to go. 
So some of the scholars said that it's referring to the angel therefore because of this hadith and some of them said that it's referring to the sound made as the angel is dragging some of those clouds and Allah Azza wa knows best. The point is that these are people that Allah Azza wa speaks about them and look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them in these metaphors, this one and the one before and the one that will come after all about people who don't benefit from the blessings that Allah has given to them. They don't use their eyesight, they don't use their their, um, their hearing, they don't use their mind to comprehend. And Allah Azza wa likens it between lightness and darkness. And because that is the, the example of guidance and misguidance. Guidance is always a light and misguidance is always a form of darkness. And Allah Azza wa mentions in verse number 20 that there are those people who only move when the light comes to them and stop when it doesn't come. And that will be the same, their position on the day of judgment. As Allah mentions in the Quran, there will be those people who when it comes to that position, before they are punished, they will want their own light because everyone will only pass over the bridge that Allah will place over the fire on that day through the light that they have of their iman. They have no light. So they will try to only take from the light of those people who have it and try to benefit from it. But Allah will put a barrier between them so that they are unable to take even that glimpse of light. And that is their state therefore, not only in this life, because of the confusion that they are in. They see things in Islam that they think of the truth and are good. But their evil in their heart doesn't allow them to accept it for what it is. And there is always something within them that pushes them back. That is their state in this life and it will be their state in the next life. And then Allah Azza wa Jal will now go on to verse number 21 by giving the first command in the Qur'an. So Allah has given to us the attributes of the believers, of the disbelievers, of the hypocrites. And now Allah will make it very clear what Allah expects from us and demands from us. And that is the first command in the Qur'an. It is the command to worship Allah alone. Now. Ya Worship your Lord. Meaning, affirm his unity. الذي خلقكم والذين من قبلكم who created you meaning originated you out of nothing and created those before you لعلكم تتقون so that hopefully you will be God fearing and by your wish of him protect yourselves from his punishment the word لعل hopefully perhaps basically implies hope and expectation when used by the Almighty it becomes Allah Azza wa gives this first command, O mankind. And Asiyyuti Rahmanullah Ta'ala says that it's referring to the people of Mecca. But this is a surah that is Madani. And the position of the majority of the scholars of, of Tafsir, Al-Tabari, and Ibn Kathir, and Sa'di, and others, is that it's more general. O people in general. Not just the people of Mecca, but everyone. O people in general. And, and even they, when they say, O people of Mecca, they don't mean it's only exclusively for them, this command. But they mean primarily for the people of Mecca, and then everyone else secondarily. Either way. Allah Azza wa is giving us the command to worship Him alone, the one who created us and the one who created everything who came before us. لَعَلَّكُمْ Perhaps so that you may attain piety. And what Rasulullah rahimahullah ta'ala says is that it implies hope and expectation, but when used by the Almighty, it becomes definite. Meaning that the word لَعَلَّ in the Arabic language means perhaps or maybe. So when we say لَعَلَّ, it means I hope perhaps you may come to my house, you may do good, you may... No, not do harm and so that's what la'alla means in that context that's when we do it when we worship Allah we do it with the hope and the sincere desire that Allah will give us taqwa make us from those people who have piety and are God fearing and God conscious and so on but in the as it relates to Allah la'alla no longer has that perhaps element it's no longer maybe maybe not in the sight of Allah it is definite that's what he's saying so the la'alla for us is we hope and we ask Allah and that is our desire but for Allah when he grants it if you meet those requirements of taqwa Allah surely and definitely grants it 
الذي جعل لكم الأرض فراشا. It is he who made, meaning created the earth, a couch for you, meaning something which is spread out and laid down. The earth is neither too hard nor too soft, either of which would make it impossible to live on. And the sky, a dome, meaning like a roof. He sends down water from the sky, and by it brings forth, meaning various fruits for your provision. Do not then, knowing they make others equal to Allah, meaning by assigning partners to Allah in your worship, when you know that He is the Creator, and that they create nothing, and that only the one who creates can truly be given the name of Allah. Allah Azzawajal commands us to worship Him alone and we need no reason other than the reason that Allah created us and Allah fashioned us and Allah gave us life and Allah Azzawajal provides for us and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has made what is upon this earth easy for us to abide in and to live in and therefore to worship Him in a manner that is pleasing to Him Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala if you have doubts about what we have sent down to our slave, meaning what has been revealed in the Quran, by Allah the Prophet produce another surah like it, and bring it equal in respect of eloquence and structure and reporting about the unseen. The minimum amount required for the surah would be three ayahs. And call your witnesses, meaning the gods you worship, besides Allah, to help you. If you are telling the truth about Muhammad, making this up by himself, do the same thing yourselves. You are eloquent speakers of Arabic like him. Since they were unable to do so, Allah addresses them in the following ayat. If you do not do that, emphasizing their incapacity, and you will not do it, the incapacity will be perpetual. And fear, meaning by believing in Allah, and that this is not the speech of a mortal. The fire whose fuel is people, meaning unbelievers, and stones, such as idols, which, because its heat is so great, burn in it like firewood burns the fires of this world. So Allah then goes on to say that if you have any doubt concerning this Quran, uh, and just as a point before I forget for, for myself and Ismail and for everyone, when we read the name Muhammad, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, it is from the etiquette and the adab to say ﷺ, even if the authors don't mention it, which sometimes they don't in the books of hadith and otherwise, just because it is something which they would write and it came across, but even if they don't, it is from the etiquette to send salat and salam upon him ﷺ. Anyway, Allah Azza wa is saying that when the Qur'an, if you have any doubt concerning this, then bring something similar to it. And throughout the Qur'an, Allah Azza wa sends down three challenges. The first of them was that they should bring if they had doubted, and this is for the people of Mecca who thought, or anyone else who thought that this Quran wasn't from Allah, that firstly they should bring a book like it. As Allah says in Surah Al-Isra, If the jinn and the humans were to bring it together, come together to bring a book like the Quran, they would be unable to do so. The second challenge was that they should bring ten surahs. أَمْ يَقُولُنَ افْتَرَاهِ Surah Hud. قُلْ فَأْتُوا بِعَشْرِ سُوَرٍ do they say that, that he has made this up, meaning the Prophet ﷺ? Let them bring ten chapters like it. The third and final one is the one that Allah mentions here in Surah Al-Baqarah, that if they think that it's not from Allah, then let them bring just one surah. 
one chapter like it. And he says, As-Suyuti rahimahullah, meaning three verses, because the shortest chapter in the Quran, like Surah Al-Asr and Surah Al-Nasr and Surah Al-Kawthar, are chapters that only consist of three verses. Bring three verses like it, and call whoever you want. And then Allah says, but if they do not, and they cannot, meaning their capacity will be perpetual. For illam tafalu, if you cannot, walan tafalu. Allah says, and you will not. So Allah answers them this question before they even get there, because Allah knows that they cannot bring anything like it. Then you should fear the fire of hell. Its its um, fuel will be men and stones, and it is prepared for the disbelievers. No. Give the good news, meaning the information, to those who believe in Allah and do right actions in the form of obligatory duties and voluntary good deeds. That they will have gardens, meaning with trees and dwelling places in them, and there will be rivers flowing under them. They will flow under the trees and palaces there. A, a river, Nahu, is a place where water flows because the water excavates, Nahu, a channel. كُلَّمَا رُزِقُوا مِنْهَا مِنْ ثَمَرَةٍ رِزْقًا قَالُوا هَذَا الَّذِي رُزِقْنَا مِنْ قَبْلٍ When they are given fruit, they have provision. In other words, eat the fruit of our garden. They will say, this is what we were given before. Meaning that it resembles what they have had before in the garden. But they were only given a simulation of it. Because the fruits are the same in color and yet different in taste. They will have their spouses, meaning among the Huris and other and others of perfect purity, meaning that they will be free of menstruation or any other kind of impurity. And will remain there timelessly, forever, never leaving or passing away. Allah Azza wa now mentions, after mentioning the, the punishment of those people who disbelieve, those people who worship other than Allah, Allah mentions now the reward of the good people, of those who believe. And often in the Quran, Allah Azza wa always joins between the two. If punishment is mentioned, reward is mentioned as well. If favors are mentioned, or the favor, or the reward and blessings of those who believe in Allah, the anger and the wrath and the punishment will be mentioned for those who disbelieve. Allah says, give good news to those who believe, that they will have gardens in Jannah, under which rivers will flow. And, and Asiyyuti rahimahullah says, they will flow under the trees and palaces there. A river is a place where water flows because the water excavates a channel. Normally when you have a river, it excavates in the ground, meaning that there are banks and shores to either side. It is dug in the ground and there's a channel that that water, you know, that river or whatever it is, that lake, that canal, it goes according to that channel that it has, whether it's a man-made channel or whether it's something which has been made by nature or by Allah Azza wa Jal. That's something which is well known. However, the position of the scholars in Jannah and what is mentioned in the hadith is that in Jannah, what makes the rivers of Jannah unique is that they run without those channels. They run on the surface of the earth. There are no banks on either side. There is no shore. It runs and it is still within its set running limit. Meaning that it doesn't overspill. Because if, we, if obviously when there's heavy rain here, a river, when it breaches and bursts its banks, it overspills and it flows and we have floods. In Jannah, despite them having no banks, despite there being no channel in that way, it will not overrun and it will not flood and it will not go except when Allah has commanded it to go. And that is from the blessing of Jannah and it is from the unique things that Allah has made in Jannah in terms of its rivers. And that's why Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala says uh, in his Nuniya anharuha fi ghayri ukhdudin jarat subhana mumsikiha anifayadani. Allah says 
its rivers run on Ibn Qayyim ta'ala says its rivers will run without any channels glory be to the one who has made it compact so that it doesn't overspill and run and that is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here to us in this Quran Allah Azza wa says that they will only have a simulation as Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said the only thing that is similar between what Allah mentions in this world and Jannah are names we have a river and there is a river in Jannah. But the river in Jannah and the river in this world are completely different in terms of what Allah has prepared. We have food and fruit here and drink and Allah has given food and fruit and drink for the people of Jannah. But they are completely different in terms of what they are. The, the only similarity are the names. We call this food and that is food. This is a palace, that is a palace. But in terms of actually what they contain, that is something as the Prophet said, No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no mind can ever imagine. The following ayah was revealed to refute the Jews who had said, When Allah made an example of a fly in his words, and if a fly steals something away from them, and a spider in his words, that of the spider, what does Allah mean by mentioning these insignificant things? Allah replies to them by saying, Allah is not ashamed to make an example of a gnat or of an even smaller thing. Smaller can also mean bigger. The point being that Allah does not fail, does not fail to make clear what can be learned from something, no matter what it says. As for those who believe, they know that the analogy is the truth from their Lord and describes what actually occurs. As for those who disbelieve, they say, what does Allah mean by this example? The question asked by the unbelievers is in reality a denial, meaning there is in fact no purpose in it. He misguides from the truth, many, but many by this example since they reject it. And guides many, meaning of the believers, by it, through their affirmation of it. But he only misguides the deviators, meaning who have Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah mentions a reason why this verse was revealed and it's mentioned by some of the scholars of Tafsir and others not mention a, a, a cause of revelation. He refers to two verses uh, that the Jews were referring to. One of them is the verse in Surah Al-Hajj وَإِيَّسْلُبْهُمُ الذُّبَابُ شَيْئًا لَا يَسْتَنْقِذُهُمٍ And the second one is in Surah Al-Ankabut مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهُ لِيَاكَ مَثَلِ الْعَنْكَبُوتِ اتَّخَذَتْ بَيْتَا and then he mentions this example that Allah Azza wa is not ashamed of giving an example of a gnat or a mosquito or an even smaller thing. And then he says smaller can also mean bigger. How does smaller mean bigger? The scholars of tafsir differ. Does Allah Azza wa mean that it is greater, ufama fawqaha, greater than an ant or greater than a gnat or a mosquito, greater in terms of size? So that the mosquito, they can't even create a mosquito, something bigger than it, greater than it in size? Or does it mean... Does it mean greater than it in uh, being something which people don't like and is disgusting? Right? A mosquito is considered to be a, a pest, something that comes and feeds off us and so on and so forth. So does it mean that it is, they can't even equate something greater than it, meaning in things that people don't like? So fawqa, smaller or bigger, therefore bigger in things that people don't like, actually means something which is smaller in size but worse in terms of the way that we will look at it. So it's not even a mosquito, it's something far worse. So greater in terms of its, um, you know, haqara means its, uh, its impurity, its how small it is, how insignificant it is, 
or greater in terms of size. You have both of those positions amongst the scholars of tafsir, and there are scholars who chose this and scholars who chose that, and that is why Siyuti Rahman Ta'ala is referring to both of those things. Those who break Allah's contract, meaning going back on what has been agreed in the books about believing in Muhammad وسلم, after it has been agreed and firmly covenanted. And sever what Allah has commanded to be joined, meaning in respect of believing in the Prophet وسلم, maintaining ties of kinship and other such things. And cause corruption on the earth. By perpetrating acts of disobedience and turning away from belief. It is those, meaning who warrant this description, who are the last, since they will go to the fire forever. How? Meaning people of Mecca. When you believe in Allah when you were dead, as like the sperm in your father's bones, and then he gave you life in the womb and in this world by breathing the spirit into you. The use of a question here is to show amazement at their unbelief when the evidence is so clear. But it might also be a question intended as a review. Then he will make you die, meaning at the end of your allotted lifespans, and then give you life again, meaning at the resurrection. And then you will be returned to him, meaning after, after the resurrection for the reckoning of your actions. Allah is alluding to the fact of resurrection which the unbelievers deny. It is He who created everything on the earth for you, meaning for your benefit and for you to reflect on. And then, meaning after creating the earth, directed His attention up to heaven and arranged it into seven regular heavens, which is another sign. He has knowledge of all things, meaning in general and in detail. Do you not realize that the one who is able to create all that from nothing and it is far greater than you is able to bring you back to life again? So as I said, we're not going to stop at every verse and give. I think some of these verses, inshallah ta'ala, are clear in their meaning. And what Asiyyuti rahmatullah ta'ala says is sufficient as a tafsir. Remember, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when your Lord said to the angels, I'm putting a region, meaning Adam, on the earth to carry out my judgments in it. They said, why put on it one who will cause corruption on it? Meaning by acts of disobedience and shed blood in it by killing as the jinn had done. They had been in the earth before man and when they caused corruption, Allah sent angels against them who drove them to the islands and mountains. When we glorify you with praise, saying, glory be to you and by your praise. And proclaim the purity, exonerating you absolutely from anything at all which is not fitting for you. The angels were saying that they were more entitled to be regents than mankind. He said, I know what you do not know. Allah informs him that he knows why it is correct to appoint Adam and his descendants as regents, even though among them are those who will obey and those who will rebel. For that reason, justice will be manifested between them. They had said, our Lord will not create any creature nobler in his sight than us, nor any with more knowledge, since we existed before any such creature existed and have been and have seen what he has not seen. 
So Allah Almighty created Adam from the surface of the earth by, take, by taking from every type of soil and he mixed it with different kinds of water and fashioned man and breathed the spirit into him so that he became alive and sentient after having been so Allah Azza wa now goes on to the story of Adam Alayhi our father and it is the first story that is mentioned in the Quran if we go from Fatiha onwards from Baqarah onwards and that is the story of our father Adam Alayhi and after Allah Azza wa has mentioned the believers, the disbelievers, the uh, the hypocrites, the command to worship Allah Azza wa alone, the difference between or the rewards of the people who believe, the, the punishment of the disbelievers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now shows us the constant struggle and battle that we have to face in this life, and that is the battle between us and between Shaytan or Iblis, as uh, depicted and shown and characterized in the story of Adam alayhi salam, our father, when Allah Azza wa first created him, and Iblis, when he refused to prostrate before him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as often in the Quran, will not mention a surah or rarely mentions a story in its entirety in one place, but rather he mentions it over many different verses in the Quran and the or different surahs of the Quran. And the reason for that is because Allah Azza wa only mentions what is relevant here to the point and to uh, the purpose of the surah. And what is relevant here is to show you that battle that is taking place between Tawheed and between Shirk, between believing in Allah and disbelief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here we have the statement of the angels who themselves, because of the limited knowledge that they have, because this verse shows clearly that the angels don't have knowledge beyond what Allah has given to them, they were questioning why Allah would want to create a new creation when the angels only worship Allah and don't disobey Allah. And Allah says to them, I do it because I have more knowledge than you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does as he pleases and his judgments are not questioned. So Allah created Adam alayhi salam and as Suyuti mentions the hadith here which is the hadith of Abu Dawood of Abu Musa al-Ashari radiyallahu anhu inna Allah khalaqa Adam biqabdatin qabadaha min jameel ard. Allah created Adam from a handful of, of dust or dirt that he gathered from all of the earth. And that is why humans come in different colors and they come in different personalities and they come with different characters because the different earth of the ground also has different properties and different colors. And that is an authentic hadith in the Sunan of Abi Dawood. Now. He taught Adam the name of all things, meaning by putting that knowledge into his heart. Then he arrayed them. The masculine plural, hum, is used for these things rather than the feminine singular ending, ha, normally used for these things in the plural because they include intelligent beings before the angel. And said, meaning to rebuke them, tell me the names of these if you are telling the truth. Since you say that I have not created any with more knowledge than you and that you are more entitled to be regions. They said, Glory be to you, indicating we do not oppose you. We have no knowledge except what you taught us. You are indeed the all knowing, the all wise, meaning nothing is As from the greatest du'as of the Quran, for a person to understand and have humbleness in the knowledge that Allah has given to them, irrespective of how many degrees they may have, what, um, you know, what, uh, what knowledge that they may have received, what study they've done, how many books they've read. If the angels that are from the closest of creations to Allah in proximity, in, in, in obedience and so on and so forth, if they 
have only a limited knowledge that Allah has given to them despite being able to see what goes on in the heavens, then what about me and you? And so it is from great humility and humbleness to constantly be aware. And this was the way of the scholars of the past and the way of the companions and the way of our teachers that we met and we continue to meet from our scholars. That they have that within them, that sense of humility and humbleness that we see being displayed here in the Qur'an. قال يا آدم أنبئهم بأسمائهم He, meaning Allah, said Adam, tell them, meaning the angels, their names The names of all things So he told them their proper names and their wisdom behind the creations فلما أنبئهم بأسمائهم قال آدم أقول لكم إني أعلم غيب السماوات والأرض When he had told them their names He, meaning Allah, said to rebuke them they will not tell you that I know the unseen of the heavens and the earth and what is hidden in them. And I know what you make known, referring to the angels' words, why put on it, and what you hide, referring to their statement that Allah will not create any being with more honor than them. Allah knows what you say and what you hide. And from that, some of the scholars said, and from that which the angels had said, apparently is the statement, why Allah are you putting someone on the earth when we worship you? And from that which they hide, as we know, Iblis at that time was in the company of the angels before he refused to obey Allah's command. So what you hide, some of the scholars of Tafsir said, what you hide, like meaning, O you Iblis, that you hide within yourself that level of disbelief that will become apparent thereon. And that is an important point, that Allah knows what we say openly. But Allah knows what we conceal, and Allah knows what we hide, and Allah knows what lies within the deep recesses of our hearts. Remember when he said to the angels, prostrate to Adam. This prostration is the prostration of greeting by bowing. And they prostrated with the exception of Iblis. Iblis, the progenitor of the jinn, was with the angels. He refused to prostrate and was arrogant, meaning too proud to prostrate to him, saying, I am better than him. As one, as was one of, and was one of the unbelievers, meaning in the hands of Allah. And this is the position of some of the scholars, that Iblis was the father of the jinn, just as Adam السلام, is the father of humans. Now. We said, Adam, live in the garden, you. The grammatical form of the expression live, eskun enter, repeats the pronoun enter, you, in order to stress it. It is normally merely implicit in the imperative, and your wife, Hawa, who was created from his left rib. And eat freely, meaning over a vast area without any restriction, from it wherever you will. But do not approach this tree, meaning by eating from it, and so become wrongdoers i.e. people of disobedience. The tree was either wheat or grapes. Or and there are other opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Was the tree that they were forbidden from, was it pomegranate, was it wheat, was it grapes, as he mentions, and so on. And Imam al-Tabir said, Allah knows best. We have no authentic narration from the Prophet telling us what that tree was. And so therefore, these are either Judeo-Christian traditions or they are merely uh, guesses because we have nothing firm and Allah knows best. But Shaytan, meaning Iblis, made them slip up. Read as Fa'azallahuma and Fa'azalahuma, by means of it. And removed them from the garden by saying to them, Shall I direct you to the tree of immortality? And by swearing by Allah to them that He was giving them good counsel, persuaded them to eat some of it.
فَأَخْرَجَهُمَا مِمَّا كَانَا فِيهِ Expelling them from where they were living in bliss. وَقُلْنَا اهْبِقُوا بَعْضُكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ عَدُوٍ We said, descend to earth, you and your descendants, as enemies to each other, where your descendants will wrong one another. وَلَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُسْتَقَرٌ وَمَتَاعٌ إِلَى فِيهِ You will have residence, meaning a place to live on the earth, and enjoyment, meaning of its fruits, for a time. So Allah Azza wa Jal commanded Adam, you have, you can remain in Jannah, but don't eat from that one tree. And that is how shaitan does. Shaitan comes and he whispers into us. And what he does simply by that whispering is he tempts us to disobey Allah and we do. And Adam alayhi salam did the same. فَأَزَلَّهُمَا فَأَزَلَّهُمَا is the qira of Hamza. And everyone else reads فَأَزَلَّهُمَا So he made him slip up. He made him slip up meaning he made him make that mistake. And he did it by promising to be sincere to him as Allah mentions in Surah Al-A'raq وَقَاسَمَهُمَا إِنِّي لَكُمَا لَمِنَ النَّاسِحِينَ He promised that he would be from sincere advisors to them. And in Surah Taha that the only reason that Allah Azza wa Jal told them not to eat from this tree because they will have uh, a long life, shajratul khuldi wa mulkin la yabla and a dominion that would never perish. But obviously his promises as Allah mentions throughout the Quran are false promises. Then Adam received some words from his Lord. One reading has the name of Adam in the accusative, Adana, and, word, and words in the nominative, Kalimatun, so that the meaning becomes words. Basically, the normal reading is, فَتَلَقَّى آدَمُ مِنْ رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتٍ In the Qira'a of Ibn Kathir, فَتَلَقَّى آدَمَ مِنْ رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتٌ Either Allah gave him the words, or these are words that Adam salam came with himself and both of them have essentially the same meaning and those words are mentioned in surah araf rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taghfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna min al-khasirin inspired adam with the words our lord we have wronged ourselves and if you do not forgive us and show mercy to us we will be among the last and adam made supplication using them fataba alayhi and he turned towards him and allah accepted his repentance innahu huwa at-tawwab ar-rahim he is the ever returning meaning always turning to his slaves the most merciful Always showing mercy towards them. مِنْهَا جَمِيعًا We said, go down from it, meaning the garden, every one of you. Every one of you is added to include the rest of mankind with Adam. By extension, right? So Adam salam and his wife initially, but clearly by extension then, all of his progeny. Then when guidance, meaning in the form of a book or a messenger, comes to you from me, those who follow my guidance and believe in me and obey me will, will feel no fear and will know no sorrow in the next world because they will enter the garden. Those who disbelieve and deny our signs, i.e. books, are the companions of the fire. Remaining in it, time forever. You'll stay there, never imagine. So Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the story of Adam and this is where that story ends. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acknowledges that we as humans will sin, that we make mistakes, that we, that we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what is important as mentioned in this story is that we are people who when we sin and when we make those mistakes, we make tawbah and turn to Allah. And by doing so, Allah Azza wa Jal forgives us and shows us His mercy and changes those evil deeds into good deeds. The problem is, is when we follow the path of shaitan and we don't turn back to Allah. We never make tawbah, we don't seek mercy, we don't ask for forgiveness. That is when shaitan wins. And that is when 
it becomes worse for us in that regard because if we don't turn back to Allah, Allah has no need to forgive us and turn towards us. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ said on the day of Arafah in Arafah, there is no day that shaitan or Iblis feels more humiliated than on that day because he sees how extensive Allah's mercy is. From a single act of tawbah, Allah forgives a lifetime of sins. And that is from Allah's mercy. So, the issue is not that Allah doesn't acknowledge or expects us to be angels or doesn't acknowledge shaitan's role within our lives and his temptations and whisperings towards us. Allah acknowledges this in, in the story of Adam. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly tells us how to overcome that trap of shaitan. No. يا بني إسرائيل اذكروا نعمتي التي أنعمت عليكم tribe of Israel meaning descendants of Yaqub remember the blessings I conferred on you meaning your ancestors by rescuing you from Beryl parting the sea and sending them the manna and quail and other things for which you should, you should show gratitude by obeying Allah وأوفوا بعهدي honor my contracts meaning which I made with you to believe in Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم and I will honor your contract, which I made with you to reward you for that by admitting you into the garden. Have dread of me alone, meaning fear not fulfilling your contract with me by preparing something else. I think a better translation of Iyaya for Habun is have fear of me. Dread, uh, I don't know, but have fear of me. Uh, is, is a better translation Allah knows best. Allah Azza moves on to speaking to Bani Israel, the children of Israel. And that is because the surah is a Medinan surah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to the Jews and the Christians because now the Muslims are interacting with them. And you will find that that is a common theme within the surahs that are from the Medinan period. Allah Azza wa Jal is now going to mention to us in great detail how Bani Israel, which is a tribe that is very similar to our Ummah, in the sense that they were given a messenger and they were given a prophet and they were an extensive nation and they were given blessings and so on. And Allah Azza wa Jalla will refer to them in a short while as the best of their time and the most honored of their time. The challenges that they faced in this regard as a lesson to us that don't step up in the way that they stepped up. Don't follow them in their footsteps and in their mistakes. But beware, this is how they went wrong. So you, O nation of the Prophet be different to them and be aware of their mistakes. And that is why Allah Azza wa Jalla will go into so much detail concerning Bani Israel in general and concerning the story with the Prophet Musa alayhi Believe in what I have sent down, meaning the Quran, confirming what is with you, meaning the Torah, what it says regarding Tawheed and Prophethood. Do not be the first, meaning of the people of the book, to disbelieve in it, because you will bear the sin of those who follow you. And do not sell and exchange my signs in your book, containing the description of Muhammad for a paltry price. Meaning for the sake of gaining a few goods of this world. Meaning do not conceal it, fearing you will lose what you lend the Muslims. Have fear of me alone. Fear only me regarding that and do not fear anything for anyone other than me. Do not mix up truth, meaning which has been revealed to you, with falsehood, which you fabricate. And knowingly hide the truth. Meaning about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when you know it to be the truth. وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةَ وَبْكَعُوا مَعَ الرَّاكِعِينَ Establish the prayer and pay zakat. And bow with those who bow. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions. This was revealed about the Jewish scholars. They used to say to their Muslim relatives, remain firm in the deen of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.
This is a statement mentioned by Ibn Abbas mentioned by Al-Qurtubi and others that there were people amongst the people of the book that used to say to their uh, relatives and cousins that had become Muslim stick on to that religion because they knew inwardly that it was the truth but for some reason, social pressure, family pressure, whatever it was they themselves wouldn't believe. Do you order people to devoutness, meaning to believe in Muhammad and forget yourselves, meaning by failing to do so yourselves, in which case you should not command it. When you recite the book, meaning the Torah, which contains the threat about people whose words are different from their deeds. When you not use your intellect and understand that what you do is evil and so turn back from it. Seek help, meaning your affairs and steadfastness, which entails forcing the self to do what it likes, and the prayer, which is mentioned in the singular, to exalt it. In hadith, we find the company of the Prophet were commanded to hasten to the prayer. It's said that this ayah is addressed to the Jews because they deviated from belief through avarice and love of leadership. Commanding steadfastness may mean fasting because fasting breaks the appetite, and the prayer is prescribed because it brings about humility and, and nullifies pride. وَإِنَّهَا لَكَبِيرَةٌ إِلَّا عَلَى الْخَاشِعِينَ So that, meaning the prayer, is a very hard thing, except for the humble, those who submit to obedience. الَّذِينَ يَظُنُّونَ أَنَّهُمْ مُلَاقُوا رَبِّهِمْ Those who are aware, meaning certain, that they will meet their Lord, meaning after their resurrection. وَإِنَّهُمْ إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ And that they will return to him and be made to account for their actions. So Allah Azza wa Jalla is mentioning about Bani Israel, what they should have done. And part of the surah is to establish the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is establishing to us the affairs of the believers, the disbelievers, the hypocrites, and giving us that command to worship Allah. And now Allah Azza wa Jalla is telling us through the story of Bani Israel what that means. And from what it means, essentially, is obedience to Allah and submission to Him at every level. And that's what Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying to them. Don't sell what you know of the truth for a paltry price. Don't hide what you know of the commands of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Fear me alone. Pray, speak the truth, give zakah. You know, be those people who, who, who turn to Allah Azza wa Jalla and ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, be steadfast in their prayer and so on and so forth. Be humble. These are all attributes of people who submit to Allah and the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Allah Azza wa Jalla is referring to here. And in verse number 45, he mentions the hadith, which is the hadith of Abu Dawood of Hudayfa radiallahu an, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if something disturbed him or if he was worried by something, he would hasten to the prayer. That is what he is referring to. Now. يا بني إسرائيل كونوا نعمتي التي أنعمت عليكم. Tribe of Israel, remember the blessings I conferred on you by being thankful and obeying me, and that I وأني فضلتكم على العالمين, and that I preferred you, meaning your ancestors over all other beings. So they were the best of nations at their time, Bani Israel, and Allah favored them and honored them. And Allah says to the Prophet and to us, remember the honors and blessings that they had. Because Allah favored them in many ways. Allah gave to them manna and salwa. And Allah Azza wa gave them shading of clouds. And Allah parted the sea from them. And Allah gave them the Prophet Musa with all of the miracles that he was given. But what benefit will it do 
unless you follow the path of those prophets and those messengers and so Allah will now go on to how despite receiving those blessings and those honors how some of them turned away from Allah and disobeyed him and that is a warning to us as this ummah despite the favors that Allah has granted to us and the blessings that Allah has given to us if we don't follow that path of the Quran and the sunnah we have no guarantee just simply by being virtue of this ummah that Allah won't punish us what is our aqidah though is that we won't remain in the fire of hell so long as we have the essence of Tawheed, we believe in La ilaha illallah. But Allah can choose to punish those people who disobey, those who sin, those who turn away from Allah's commandments. And so Allah is warning us because that is not the pinnacle of Tawheed. It is not the essence of submission. That you only choose and obey where you like and leave what you dislike. But submission in its totality, what it means is to submit to everything. Especially when it is hard against yourself and requires more sacrifice on your part. And the tuqbalu with the ta is the recitation of Ibn Kathir and Abu Amr and Yaqub and everyone else reads it with the ya. And the difference is Tuqbal and yuqbal, basically the same thing. One is a feminine form and one is a masculine form. No ransom, meaning ad, which usually means justice, but here means ransom, taken from it. And none will be held, meaning against the punishment. Meaning on the day of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, if Allah doesn't wish for someone to have intercession of someone else for their sins, in order to seek, in order to have that forgiveness from Allah, they will have no intercession. And they will have nothing to ransom themselves with on that day except their iman and their good deeds. So anyone who comes without iman on that day and no good deeds is bankrupt, has nothing that is in any way, shape or form in the sight of Allah worthy of being sufficient ransom, of worthy of even being mentioned in that frame or in that sense of being ransomed. Remember when we rescued you, meaning your ancestors, although this ayah and what follows it is addressed to those Jews who existed at the time of our Prophet from the people of Pharaoh. This records what happened to their ancestors in order to remind them of Allah's blessings to them so that they would believe. They were inflicting an evil punishment, meaning the worst kind of punishment on you. Slaughtering your sons and letting your women live. The reason for the killing of their sons was that Pharaoh's priest said that a boy would be born among the tribe of the Saudis, would be the cause, would be the cause of the lust of his kingdom. In that there was an immense trial of your Lord. That may either may refer either to the punishment or the rescue. And so the trial either may be either an affliction or a blessing. Allah now reminds them of the story of Musa السلام, and Pharaoh and their bondage in the time of Pharaoh. And the story as we know from some of the books of Tafsir is that Pharaoh saw a dream that his destruction would come. And Pharaoh is not the name of an individual but the name of a position like king or like Caesar. He saw in a dream that his destruction would come at the hands of a child, a male child from Bani Israel. So he commanded that their children, their male children be slaughtered and their female children be allowed to live. And that is what Allah is referring to because that is from the worst kinds of punishment that a person can be afflicted with. 
And I would underline what he says at the end of this verse, that may refer either to the punishment or the rescue. And so the trial either may be an affliction or a blessing. If a trial comes to us and we, it brings us closer to Allah and we use it to come closer to Allah, that trial despite its hardship and challenge will always be a blessing. But a trial that comes and only takes you further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always evil, no matter whatever it contains in terms of other types of harms and challenges as well. And so especially in the time that we're living in, as we've said many times in the last few weeks and people have said, this is a time where if you show Allah Azza wa Jal your character, your iman, your worship of Him in this time of difficulty, then inshallah that is a sign of some goodness and blessing into you in terms of reward and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place for you. And remember when we parted the sea for you, so that you could cross through it when you were fleeing from your enemies and rescued you, meaning from drowning. And drowned the people of Pharaoh, meaning along with him, while you watched the sea. So Allah is reminding Ben Israel of his favors, and this is a very summarized version of their story. The time elapsing from the initial punishment to them being saved from Pharaoh is a great many years. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala summarizes this. And so Allah Azza is giving us, if you like, the headlines of this story. And that is primarily to remind them of the favors that they had. And to show us then that despite those favors, they still turn away from Allah and they disobeyed Him. And when we allotted, read as wa'adna. So wa'adna, or is the reading of Abu Amr. Abu Ja'far and Ya'qub and wa'adna is the reading of everyone else and the difference between the two wa'ada is to allot a, an appointment is to give an appointment wa'ada is if I give an appointment and Ismail has no choice he has to come a bit like what we're doing here he didn't have a choice wa'adna though is when it's reciprocal it's when we both agree mutually and Imam al Taala said both are correct Allah who is the one who dictated the appointment for Musa salam, but he knew that Musa salam would Agree, he wouldn't refuse in any way, and so therefore that's why you have both readings. No. And when we allotted 40 nights to Musa, meaning at the end of the 40 nights, the Torah was revealed to, to Musa so that the Jews could act on it. Then you adopted the, the calf, which the Samiri manufactured as a god, when he, meaning Musa, had gone to his appointment. And you were wrongdoers, meaning by devoting your worship to what was not appropriate for it. Then we pardoned you after that, meaning by wiping away your sins after that incident. So that perhaps you would show thanks, meaning for our blessing. Remember when we gave Musa the book, meaning the Torah, and the discrimination, meaning between truth and falsehood, the lawful and unlawful. So that perhaps you would be guided in a way from this guidance. Criterion is a better translation than discrimination. And Al-Furqan is one of the names of the Quran as well. Shah Ramadan Al-Ladi Unzila Fihil Quran, Hudalli Nasi wa Bayinati Minul Huda wal Furqan. And Furqan basically means the criterion that allows you to distinguish between good and bad, between what is right and what is false. And when Musa said to his people who were worshipping the car, Ya Omi innakum zalimtum anfusakum bittikhadikum ul My people, you wronged yourselves by adopting the car as a god. 
فتوبوا إلى بارئكم فاقتلوا أنفسكم. So turn towards your maker who created you to worship him and kill yourselves. This means to let those who are innocent kill the evildoers among you. ذلكم خير لكم عند بارئكم. That, meaning the killing, is the best thing for you in your maker's sight. He made them prepare to carry that out and then sent a black cloud over them so that they would not see one another and be moved by mercy until about 70,000 had been killed. فَتَابَ عَلَيْكُمْ And he turned towards you, meaning, and accepted your repentance. إِنَّهُ هُوَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمِ He's the ever-returning, the most merciful. Allah Azza wa in this verse, just to give it some clarity, is speaking about how after they took the qaf and worshipped it besides Allah, what Allah told them to do in terms of having repentance. What is their means of gaining forgiveness? And that forgiveness was that they would have to kill one another. As Suyuti mentions one opinion that the good or the innocent amongst them, those who didn't worship the qaf, would kill those who did. Others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir said, no, it was general. All of them had to kill one another. And those narrations then say that the, a dark cloud came over them because they didn't want to see each other being killed and so on. None of those or the vast majority of those are not authentic ahadith. They are statements that are either taken from Israeliyat, Judeo-Christian traditions, or that the scholars of Tafsir have mentioned. And others from them said that they didn't actually carry out the killing, but Allah wanted to see the sincerity of their intention and the firm conviction of their hearts. And once they had that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allowed them uh, or forgave them without having, having to go forward for them. Either way though, clearly this is something which is specific to those people at that situation and it is not something which is a general ruling, but it is something which is specific to that and isolated to that specific situation for Musa alayhi salam and his people. Yeah. And when, meaning you went with Musa to apologize to Allah for worshiping the calf and you heard what he said. Then you said, Musa, we will not believe in you until we see Allah with our, with our own eyes. So the thunderbolt, meaning the divine blast, which caused them to die, struck you dead while you were looking at what happened to them. Then we brought you back to life after your death, so that perhaps you would show thanks, meaning for our blessing. So Allah Azza wa mentions, look at how many blessings Allah gave to them. And despite all the signs that they saw already, with Musa salam, with Pharaoh, the locusts and the frogs and the rivers of blood and the splitting of the sea and so on, what are they saying now, despite their own disbelief and the wrong that they did, we need another sign. And what's that sign? We want to see Allah before us. Okay, if you see Allah, then what's left for Iman? What faith does anyone need to have if all of us could see Allah before us? What room for doubt is there that is left? What need is there for anyone to have a messenger or a prophet? That is a concept that goes against the very reason why Allah Azza wa is testing us in this world. That is what they demanded. And it shows you how if Allah Azza wa doesn't give someone Iman in their hearts, even the greatest of signs and the number of signs that they have will not benefit them. But if someone has the smallest of sign of Iman, sorry, of firm Iman, the smallest of sign is enough. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu didn't need many signs. The Prophet said to him, I've come from Allah. He accepted when he saw the truthfulness of his speech. When he went on Isra Mi'raj and the people said to him, do you know what he said? He said, I already believe that he has revelation coming from the heavens. I don't see why I should disbelieve in him going on a night journey. That is Iman and that is true faith. Whereas if that faith is always within us, that it is, it is, it is not firm and strong and steadfast, then even the greatest of signs cannot benefit. And that is why it is so important to ask Allah for that firmness and steadfastness and to always preserve that iman with good deeds and turning back to Allah and making dua. And we shaded you with clouds, meaning 
causing thin clouds to give you shade and protect you from the heat of the sun in the desert. وَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَنَّ وَالسَّلْوَىٰ and sent down in it manna and quails which are truffles and small birds to you. So this is another of the great blessings that Allah gave to them. When they were leaving Egypt and going towards the promised land, Allah sent to them cloud cover because then the desert and it's hot and it's baking. So Allah made it easier for them. And then he gave to them manna and salwa. Salwa is quails. Man, the scholars have differ, differed over what it is. Some said it is a drink of honey. Some said it is, it is a drink of, of ginger. And other, other opinions amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Ibn Kathir ta'ala, said it is every good drink that they were given. It is a term that refers to all of the good provision that Allah Azza wa will gave, gave to them. And we will see soon how Allah Azza wa will mention that despite having those foods that are amazing in that time and in that situation and in that context, they would become bored and fed up of this and complain of this as well. And we said, Eat of the good things we have provided for you. And do not hold them up and be ungrateful for the blessing you have been given. However, they did hold them up and so their provision stopped coming. They did not wrong us by that, rather it was themselves they were wrongdoing, they were wronging, bringing ill fortune on them, bringing ill fortune on themselves by what they did. Remember when we said, meaning to them, after they left the desert, go into this town, uh, meaning Jerusalem or Jericho, and eat from it wheresoever you like, freely, meaning without restriction. Enter the gate of the city, prostrating, bowing, and say, And say, leave us of our burdens. This expression, in Arabic, means remove our sins from us. The mistakes will be forgiven. There are three readings for the word forgiven. We will forgive with nawfir. They, the mistakes will be forgiven with and he will forgive with yaghfir. So the reading of yughfar lakum, nafi'an abu ja'far. Tughfar lakum ibn amir. Naghfir lakum are the other seven. وَسَنَزِيدُ الْمُحْسِينِ We will grant increase to all good doers, meaning as a reward for their obedience. فَبَدَّلَ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا قَوْلًا غَيْرَ الَّذِي قِيلَ لَهُمْ But those, meaning among them, who did wrong, substituted words other than those they had been given. It is related that they said, a grain, hibba, of barley, and entered the city on their buttocks. A grain, hibba, of barley, and entered the city on their buttocks. The grammatical form emphasizes the ugliness of what they did. فَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا لِجَزًا مِّنَ السَّمَاءِ بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ So we sent down a plague, ridge, meaning plague and a punishment, from heaven on those who did wrong because they were deviators. This was sent down because of their deviation, fisk, meaning their failure to show obedience. And as a result of it, something like 70,000 of them perished in a very short period of time. Allah Azza wa told them when they come towards the promised land, which is the area that they're trying to get to, that they want to, that they have dreamed of for generations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that if you want to enter into this land, when you enter into it, enter in a position of humility and humbleness and say, Hitta. The word Hitta, as Tabri and others said, means from Hattallahu uh, Anna Siyat. May Allah forgive us for our sins. Meaning they should enter with humility, humbleness, seeking forgiveness. But because again of their insolence, because again of their rebellious, rebellious, rebellious nature, 
they changed the wording and they said habba as is mentioned in the hadith in al-bukhari or the same term bukhari of abu hurair radiyallahu an they said habbatun fi sha'ira instead of saying hitta they said habba they changed the word it's the same sounds very similar and instead they said that we want bali meaning that we want more food and allah azawajal says that they were punished and the scholars differ as to the punishment at tabari and others said it is a plague that was sent upon them and others differed but the point is that they were punished and remember when Musa was looking for water for his people after they became thirsty in the desert. We said, strike the rock with your staff. The rock referred to is the same rock which had run off with Musa's clothes when they accused him of having a deformity because he did not undress, because he did not undress in front of them. That's referring to the hadith that the Prophet said that Musa wouldn't undress in front of the people of his nation. And they thought that because it was of some physical deformity. But it was because the prophets have haya, they are modest people. And so on one occasion he placed his clothes there whilst he was concealed and the rock ran away. Allah commanded it to run away. So he chased it and people saw him and they realized then that it wasn't because of any deformity. The, Ibn Abbas said that this is the rock that he struck in order for the springs to fall out. Others said it is not this, it is another rock. And Allah knows best, we have no authentic information concerning it. It was square, like a man's head, made of marble or alabaster. He struck it and then 12 times he gushed out from it, the same as the number of the tribes. And all the people knew their drinking place. Each tribe had their own drinking place, which no one else shared. We said to them, Eat and drink of Allah's provision and do not go about the earth corrupting it. This is repeated for emphasis. وَإِذْ قُلْتُمْ يَا مُوسَىٰ لَن نَصْبِرَ عَلَىٰ طَعَامٍ And when you said, Musa, we will not, we will not put up with just one kind of food, meaning, مَنَّا أَكْوَيْهُ فَدْعُ لَنَا رَبَّكَ يُخْرِجَ لَنَا مِمَّا تُنْبِتُ الْأَرْضُ مِنْ بَقَرِهَا وَفِثَّائِهَا وَكُومِهَا وَعَدَسِهَا وَبَصَلِهَا so ask your Lord to supply to us some of what the earth produces. It's green vegetables, cucumbers, grains, lentils, and onions. He, meaning Musa, said to them, you want to replace what is better with what is inferior. Musa asked them if they wanted what was inferior, and the question implies disapproval. When they refused to retract, he prayed to Allah, Almighty, who said, Go back to Egypt, meaning go back down to one of the cities and and then in it you will have what plans you are asking for. So the translation that they gave, go back to Egypt, Misr can mean Egypt is the name of Egypt, the country. And Misr can also mean a land, a place. And its plural is Amsar. And many of the scholars of Tafsir said that they weren't told to go back to Egypt where they had come from, but rather just to wander and go to another land. And that seems to be more apparent in this tafsir, and that's the one that As-Siyuti chose, and that's why you have go back to Egypt, which is the translation that they've chosen, the translators. But then As-Siyuti says, meaning go back to one of the cities, which obviously then for is not Egypt. Or it could refer to a city within Egypt, and Allah knows best. Abasement meaning humiliation and destitution were stamped upon them. Destitution was the effect of the poverty resulting from their abasement and disgrace, which continues to attach itself to them, even if they are rich, just as the minted dirham is stamped by its time. They brought down 
meaning returned with anger, and that stamp from Allah upon themselves. So daraba meaning it was stamped upon them, just as you mint a coin and you stamp upon it, you know, the face of the queen or the number or the whatever it's worth. That's how harshly it was placed upon them. That was because they rejected Allah's signs and killed the prophets, such as Zakaria and Yahya, without any right to do so. And so it was Aaron wrongdoing. So Allah is moving from the story of Musa to the general station or situation of Bani Israel from Bani Israel and are, is that they killed or from their news is that they killed Zakaria and Yahya salam. And these are prophets who came after Musa salam. Zakaria is just before Isa and Yahya is at the same time as Isa salam. That was because they rebelled and went beyond the limits, meaning in disobedience to Allah. The repetition in the last sentence is used for stress. Those who believe, meaning the previous prophets, those who are the Jews and the Christians and the Sabians, meaning a group of Jews or Christians, all of them who believe in Allah on the last day, in the time of our Prophet, and act rightly according to the Sharia, will have their reward, meaning for their actions with their Lord. They will feel no fear and they will know no sorrow. This reverts back to the third person plural pronoun, as used in the beginning of the ayah, in those who believe. So Allah Azza mentions these people and I just want to pick up on the statement of Sabians, Sabi'in. And one of the positions of the scholars of Tafsir is that it is a group of Jews, another is that they were a group of Christians, and that's, that's one of the Suyuti is mentioning here, combining between the two. Others said that they were a group of people who were upon their natural fitrah, their natural belief, meaning that they didn't worship anything besides Allah. And they had amongst them people who believed in Allah and people who disbelieved in Allah, but they didn't worship idols or any particular God. And others amongst them said that they worshipped angels and so on and so forth. And the strongest of those opinions seems to be that they were people, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they were people who didn't believe in anything specifically, and didn't worship anything specifically. And that's why Allah says, amongst them are believers, and amongst them are those who disbelieve. And Allah knows best, but that is the position of uh, Shaykh al Thaymi, rahimahullah, amongst others. Yeah. Remember, when we made the covenant with you, to act according to what is in the Torah, and lifted up the mount above your heads. Mount Sinai was uprooted and held over their heads, and they refused to accept. We said, Take hold, vigorously, meaning with seriousness and effort, of what we have given you, and pay heed to what is in it, meaning by acting on it. So that perhaps you will be God-fearing, and so avoid the fire for disobedience. Then after that covenant and promise to obey, you turned away. And were not for Allah's favor to you and His mercy, demonstrated by turning to you or delaying the punishment, you would have been among the last, meaning destroyed. You are well aware of, you are well aware of, meaning no, those of you who broke the limits and the Sabbath by fishing on the Sabbath, which Allah has forbidden them to do. They were people of the town of Aden. 
who said to them, the apes, the spies, are cast out. They were cast out and died after three days. We made it, meaning that punishment, an exemplary punishment for those there then and those coming afterwards. Meaning to deter others, both the contemporaries and those after them, from doing the same thing, from doing the same kind of thing. And a warning to the God-fearing. Those who fear Allah are specified because they benefit from being warned, whereas others do not. So Allah Azza wa mentions here, the way that the Bani Israel reacted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their disobedience and the result of that disobedience and how despite the many blessings that Allah bestowed upon them they were still people who turned away from Allah, disobeyed Allah, didn't acknowledge the favors of Allah Azza wa upon them and now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention the story of the cow after which this surah is named and it is a story again showing you that one of the most important aspects therefore also of submission to Allah as well as believing in Allah and obeying Allah and so on is to follow the commands of the Prophet that Allah Azza wa sent. For us, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, for Bani Israel, the Prophet Musa Alayhi Wasallam in that time. It is part of submission to Allah that Allah commands us to obey the Prophets. So this concept that I just follow the Quran and I don't need to follow the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah didn't say it in the Quran, I don't find the verse in the Quran, and I reject or somehow distance myself from what is authentically mentioned in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is a submission to Allah and it is not obedience to Allah and it is not complete Iman in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent and gave. And so here now we see this in the story of Musa and the people of the cow. And remember when Musa said to his people, when one of them had been murdered and it was not known who had done it, and they asked Musa to pray to Allah for them to solve it, and he did so. He said, Allah commands you to sacrifice a cow. They said, what? Are you making a mockery of us by giving such an answer? He said, I seek refuge with Allah from being one of the ignorant. So Allah Azza wa mentioned the story of these people is that in the time of Musa salam there was a man, it is said, that had wealth amongst many Israel. And his heirs, the people who would inherit from him, wanted that wealth. But the man, Allah has given him long life and he's living and he's not passing away. So one of his inheritors, they take matters into their own hand and they kill him. And they dump his body on the streets. When the, his family find him the next day and all of his members of his family gather, they start to accuse one another. So they say, okay, instead of accusing one another, why don't we go to Allah's Prophet? He is our judge. He will tell us what to do. And Allah Azza wa commands Musa to tell them to slaughter a cow. And so he does so. Now if this was to come from anyone else, if you know, there was to be something that happened here today in the UK, and one of us went to the police and they said to us, go and slaughter a cow if someone's been killed, we think they were crazy. The difference here though is that it's not just anyone. And it's not just coming from anything. It is coming from a prophet of Allah that receives revelation. And so it is not therefore a condition and a prerequisite to believe in the prophets of Allah that you have to know the wisdom behind their commands and fully understand and comprehend what they ask you to do. Why do we have to wake up for Fajr in the morning? Why do we have to fast in this particular month of Ramadan? Why do we have to wipe over the top of the socks and not the bottom of the socks? That is not a prerequisite. Your role and my role is to obey and to submit, not to understand and realize the wisdom. If we know the wisdom, alhamdulillah, and if we don't, then we still submit and believe. They said to him, you're, you're joking with us, you're mocking us. And the Prophet of Allah, Musa salam, said to them, A'udhu Billah, I seek refuge in Allah. One thing that we never joke about is our religion, meaning in the laws of Allah and what it means, halal and haram. That's not something that is open to mockery and joke and messing around. It is something, therefore, that he took extremely seriously.
When they knew that he was serious, they said, Ask your Lord to make it clear to us what it should be like, meaning by a detailed description. He said, He says that she should be a cow, not old or virgin, meaning young, but somewhere between the two ages. So do as you have been told, meaning slaughter it as you have been ordered to. They said, ask your Lord to make it clear to us what color it should be. He said, he says that she should be a red cow, the color of sorrow, a pleasure to all who look. The color should be very vivid and very pleasing to the eye. The word Safra means yellow, and that is the position that many of the scholars of Tafsir took. And some of them said that it is yellow in its horns, and some of them said that it is yellow all over, and some of them said other things, but it is yellow that it should be, or at least a color that, that looks yellow to the eye. They said, ask your Lord to make it clear to us what it should be like, meaning whether it should be a grazing or working cow. Cows are all much the same to us. The genus of cows are similar to us, and because there are many different sorts, we are not sure which one is meant. Then, if Allah wills, we will be guided. According to a hadith, if they had not said, if Allah wills, it would never have been clear to them. He said, he says that it, should, that it should be a cow not being trained to plow or irrigate the fields. It should not be a working animal and not being trained as part of the prohibition. Completely sound, meaning with no defects or marks from work, without a blemish, meaning a trace of any other color on it. They said, now you have brought the truth. Meaning now you have made it completely clear. So they looked for such an animal and found it with a pious youth and his mother. And they bought it in exchange for filling the house with gold. So they sacrificed it, but they almost did not do it. They almost did not do it because it was so expensive. In hadith, if they had sacrificed any cow, it would have been enough for them. But they made things difficult for themselves by their questions. And so Allah made it difficult for them. So you see here, one of the benefits of Suyuti also, despite its brevity in his tafsir, is that he will mention a hadith when and where he thinks. And Imam Suyuti, rahimahullah, was an amazing scholar of hadith. Allah Azza wa tells these people to slaughter a cow. Had they slaughtered any cow, it would have been sufficient. But because, again, they don't want to conform, and they don't want to listen, and they don't want to obey. They ask question after question. And so now the cow, which could have been any cow, becomes more and more restricted, more and more defined, until they can only one, find one cow that fits all of their descriptions, neither old nor young, not used for any labor work, not used for carrying anything, has to be yellow in color. There is only one that they can find. And because it is so rare, it is expensive. And so the translators have said they bought it in exchange for filling the house with gold. That's not what a Suyuti says. I think they made a mistake in the translation. He says, and other scholars of Tafsir, they say that they bought it in its worth, it's worth its weight in gold. Not worth the weight of the house, the, worth the weight of the cow in gold. Or some of them said that once they had skinned it, worth its weight of the skin that they filled it with gold. And that was what they gave. And so it shows again these people, had they simply obeyed Allah, Allah would have honored them and favored them. 
But because, and this is why the Prophet ﷺ didn't like when people used to ask him excessive questions. Because he feared that either some new rule would come and it would be hardship for his ummah. And so the Prophet ﷺ told people not to ask excessive questions. And that is a position in our own religion. It is okay and it is good for you to ask about what you need to know and what you need to learn about. But to ask frivolous, excessive questions that have no benefit and that don't actually bring any good knowledge and that actually may make things worse, if anything, then that is not something which is recommended or allowed. Remember when you killed someone and violently accused each other of it, meaning argued about it. وَاللَّهُ مُخْرِجٌ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْتُمُونَ and Allah brought out what you were hiding regarding the matter. So Allah reverses the story. This is the reason why they had to sacrifice the cow. But Allah Azza wa mentions the cow first because that is the, the principle, that is the main lesson of the story, which is obedience to Allah and His Prophets. We said, hit him, meaning the murdered man, with part of it. He was hit with the cow's tongue or tail, and then he came back to life and said, so-and-so, and so-and-so killed me. Then his cousins and died again. So the two murderers were denied inheritance and were executed. We don't know which part of the, Allah says they struck the man with a part of that cow that they sacrificed. Allah knows best, as Tabari rahimullah mentions, which part of the cow. But the man, as I said, came back to life, pointed out his murderers, and then went back to being dead as Allah commanded. Now. Then Allah says, in that way, meaning bringing back the murdered man to life, Allah gives life to the dead and He shows you His signs, meaning indications of His power, so that hopefully you will understand. In order that you may reflect and realize that the one who has the power to bring one soul back to life can also bring many souls back to life, and so you should have faith. Then your hearts, meaning Jews, became hardened against the truth after that. This instance of bringing the dead to life and the signs before it. So they were like rocks, meaning in hardness or even harder still than stones. There are some rocks from which rivers, rivers gush forth. And others which split open and water comes out. And others which crash down, meaning from high to low, out of fear of Allah. But you are not affected, nor softened, nor do you fear. Allah is not unaware of what you do. Whereas Ta'lamun, you do, and Ya'lamun, they do. Allah defers you to your appointed time. So Ya'lamun is the Qira'a bin Kathir, and Ta'lamun is the Qira'a of everyone else. Allah Azzawajal is saying to us here that when a person doesn't believe in Allah, their heart becomes so hard that it's harder than rocks. Because there are rocks, as we see in the story of Musa, that when he strikes them, water comes out. And there are rocks and mountains that if the Qur'an was to be revealed to them, as Allah mentions in Surah Al-Hashr, they would fall and crumble out of fear of Allah Azzawajal. But this heart within us, if it's removed from guidance or distance from Allah Azzawajal, it becomes harder than even that. And no... No, uh, no guidance penetrates it and nothing comes to it unless it turns back to Allah and makes tawbah and seeks Allah's forgiveness. Do you, meaning believers, really hope they, the Jews, will follow you in, in belief when a group of them, meaning a group of their rabbis, heard Allah's word, meaning in the Torah, and then 
And then, after grasping and understanding it, knowing it is distorted and altered it. They forged lies, so do not hold out any hope for them. They have already disbelieved. The question implies disapproval of what they did. When they, meaning the hypocritical Jews, meet those who believe, they say, We believe that Muhammad وسلم, is a prophet and the good news about him is now a book. But when they return and go apart with one another, they, meaning their leaders who did not behave hypocritically, say to the hypocrites, Why do you speak to them, meaning the believers, about what Allah has disclosed to you, about what the Torah says of the description of Muhammad so that they can use it as an argument against you before your Lord, meaning in the next world, saying that you did not follow Muhammad although you knew that he spoke the truth. You do not use your intellect. Why do you not show more sense when you speak them and stop telling on this? Allah Almighty says, do they not know that Allah knows what they keep secret and what they make public? This is a question meant for confirmation and means is the realization of this not enough to make them cease doing it? وَمِنْهُمْ أُمِّيُّونَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ الْكِتَابَ إِلَّا أَمَانِيَّ وَإِنْهُمْ إِلَّا يَظُنُّونَ Some of them, meaning Jews, are illiterate, knowing nothing of the book, meaning the Torah, but wishful thinking. The lies they have learned from their leaders and have then believed. In their denial of the Prophethood of the Prophet ﷺ and other things about which they disagree, they only speculate, they have no real knowledge. Allah again is giving us a description of these people from amongst Bani Israel who turned away from their prophets and turned away from the teachings of Allah and because of it their hearts became so hard and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions to them and mentions within them that there is hypocrisy that there are people who conceal the scriptures and what Allah contained within those scriptures of the signs of the truthfulness of the Prophet and how he would come because they thought that the Prophet would come from them so when he came from the Arabs, they were people who disbelieved. And look at how Allah says in this final verse that we just did, verse 78, they are people who know nothing, they're illiterate, but they have wishful thinking, believing in the lies that they have learned from their leaders. And as we said, one of the main purposes of these passages and these verses is for us to be warned against falling, in their fall, in falling into their same traps and following in their same footsteps. And how many Muslims are there today who believe in what their leaders say without checking, without asking for proof, without seeing whether it's actually something from the Quran and the Sunnah. And Allah is saying if it's not an excuse for these people, then it's not an excuse for the people who come after them. And that is the difference between someone who takes a position of fiqh, which is a smaller issue, takes a position of fiqh because they don't have the requisite knowledge, so they go to people who are more knowledgeable, as opposed to someone who does that in one of the essences or the basics of religion, in terms of Tawheed. People who worship other than Allah, make dua to other than Allah, think that other than Allah can benefit or cause harm and then use as a proof that our elders, our leaders, our shuyukh, our imams have said that this is okay. That's not a proof. It is different to where you place your hands in prayer, on the chest, below the navel, above. That is a slightly different issue and the scholars differed over that. But that is a secondary issue. But in terms of your belief, 
or something that is a major component of Islam like prayer being obligatory or hijab being obligatory or any of those issues that is known and agreed upon by the Muslim Ummah then it's not sufficient for someone to come and say I was following A, B, C or D and that is the difference here and that is why Allah Azza wa Jal is rebuking these people meaning a terrible punishment to those who write the book with their own hands differently from what is in their possession ثُمَّ يَقُولُونَ هَذَا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ لِيَشْتَغُوا بِهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا And then say, this is from Allah, salik for paltry price in this world. They are the Jews who removed the description of the Prophet wasallam, which was in the Torah, and the verse of stoning, and other things which they wrote differently from how they were originally revealed. فَوَيْلٌ لَهُمْ مِمَّا كَتَبَتْ أَيْدِيهِمْ Woe to them for what their hands have written and forged. Woe to them for what they earn, meaning by the bribes they have received. They say, when they are threatened with the fire, the fire will only touch us for a number of days, claiming that it will only burn them for 40 days, which was a period during which their ancestors worshipped the car. Then the revelation came. Say, meaning to them, Muhammad وسلم, Have you made a contract and covenant with, with Allah? Then Allah will not break his contract regarding that. Or are you rather saying about Allah what you do not know? You are indeed saying what you do not know. May Allah save us from arrogance and from pride. Look at how these people said that even if everything that you're saying is true, that we disobeyed Allah, that we're going to be punished, that we are people who concealed the truth. Even if we are punished, it will only be for a few days. Some narrations say 40, some narrations say 7, some say less, some say more. A few days and then we're going to be out and it will be fine. As if even a single moment in the fire is tolerable. As if they have some guarantee, as Allah is saying from them, that He gave them this guarantee and promised that this would be the case. As if they have some type of verbal or written agreement with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But rather, as Allah says, they speak without knowledge. No, indeed. Those who persist, meaning and continue to accumulate bad actions, mean by shirk, and are surrounded on every side and overcome by the mistakes. Read in both the singular, and the plural, خطيئاته is the narration or the reading of Nafi' and Abu Ja'far. So that they die as idolaters. Idolaters. Such people are the companions of the fire, remaining in it timelessly forever. Whereas those who believe and do right actions, such people are the companions of the garden, remaining in it timelessly forever. Verse 82, I think, is the first time that a Sufi in this tafsir hasn't done a commentary on a verse. He just left the verse as is, and he will do that a few times within the Quran. And that's because some of the verses of the Quran are so clear and so apparent that they don't need more explanation. They don't need further elucidation. It is enough that Allah Azza wa says something and that's why sometimes it is enough and enough of a blessing just to read what Allah says and to read what the scholars with tafsir have commented. 
And there are parts of the Quran that are as clear as that, that if you were just to read them, it is enough for you to understand them. As Ibn Abbas said, that a great portion of the Quran is something which people, if they read, that, read it and understood it, just took their time and tried to comprehend it, it would be enough for them. وَإِذْ أَخَذْنَا مِيثَاقَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ لَا تَعْبُدُونَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Remember, when we made a covenant with the tribe of Israel in the Torah, we said, worship, that is both, ta'buduna in the second person, and ya'buduna in the third person. Ta'buduna is Ibn Kathir, Hamza, and Al-Kisai. They worship, ta'buduna, you worship. None but Allah. Although this, this is grammatically a report, it is actually a proposition. وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا وَلِلْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينَ And be good to your parents, meaning by being dutiful, and to relatives, as well as parents, and to orphans, and the very poor. وَقُولُوا لِلنَّاسِ حُسْنًا And speak good, read as Hussan, as well as Hassan. Hassana, Hamza al-Kisa'il Ya'qub, say Hassana and Hussan. One is the verb, one is the noun. And speak good words to people. Meaning, command what is known to be right, forbid what is recognized as wrong, and be truthful about Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and to be gentle with people. وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاةِ And establish the prayer and pay zakah. ثُمَّ تَوَلَّيْتُمْ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا مِّنْكُمْ But then you turned away. Allah is telling them that although they had accepted to do all of that, they, ne- they nevertheless did not fulfill it. The ayah changes from the third person to the second person, from them to you. But it is still their forefathers who are intended, except a few of you. You turned aside, just as your forefathers did. And that is the beauty of Islam. The worship of Allah Azza wa is after Tawheed. It permeates through your actions and through your dealings with your parents and your relatives and the people around you and extends to the community and charity and so on. And that's why the famous hadith in Bukhari when Abu Sufyan, before he accepted Islam, was in the Byzantine Roman lands and the Caesar of those lands brought him for questioning. One of the things he asked him, and it's a long hadith, he said, what does he command you with, meaning the Prophet And he replied, he commands us to worship Allah alone and to, and to pray and to be chaste and to, and to uh, bring together the ties of kinship. And Caesar, when he comments on this, he says, and that is what the Prophets order. That is what the Prophets do. The message of Islam is to do good in all of its forms. Once you have the establishment of Tawheed, every good should follow on from that. وَإِذْ أَخَذْنَا مِثَاقَكُمْ لَا تَسْفِكُونَ دِمَاءَكُمْ And when we made a covenant with you, meaning and we told you not to shed your blood by killing one another. وَلَا تُخْرِجُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ مِنْ دِيَارِكُمْ And not to expel one another from your homes, meaning evicting someone from his own home. ثُمَّ أَقَرَرْتُمْ You agreed, meaning and accepted that covenant. وَأَنْتُمْ تَشْهَدُونَ and we're all witnesses to one another. ثُمَّ أَنْتُمْ هَؤُلَاءِ تَقْتُلُونَ أَنفُسَكُمْ وَتُخْرِجُونَ فَرِيقًا مِّنْكُمْ مِّنْ دِيَارِهِمْ تَظَاهَرُونَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِالْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ Then you are the people who are, then you are the people who are killing one another and expelling a group among you from their homes, ganging them. Let us تَظَاهَرُونَ and تَظَاهَرُونَ against them in wrongdoing. Meaning disobedience and enmity, injustice. So, Tadaharun is read by the Kufiyin. So, Asim and Hamza and Kisa'in Khalaf. And everyone else reads Tadaharun. And they both essentially mean the same thing. The difference in the Arabic language is when a Shadda is put onto one form, it is more eloquent and has more emphasis. And so, that is the difference between the two. One 
is with less emphasis, one is with more meaning that sometimes some of those people did it once or twice and others did it many more times. You ransom them, read as tufaduhum and tafduhum, meaning from captivity with money and other things. Tufaduhum is nafi asim al kisayya abu jafan yaqub and the rest tafduhum. Wa huwa muharramun alaykum ikhraduhum. When it was forbidden for you to expel them in the first place. The expression when it was forbidden for you to expel them refers back to the words to expelling you to expelling your group and what is said between the two expressions is in parenthesis. It means in the same way that it is unlawful for you not to ransom them. So it was the same way that it was it means in the same way that it is unlawful for you to not to ransom them, so it was unlawful to expel them at all. The Jewish clan of Quraywa had an alliance with Aus and that of Nabi with Khazwaj, and each party fought with their allies and destroyed the other's homes and expelled them from them. But when they were captured, they ransomed them. They ransomed them. When they were asked, why do you fight them, and then ransom them, they replied, we are commanded to, man- to ransom. When-, when they were asked, but why did you fight them, they replied, to avoid embarrassment if our allies were defeated. Meaning that they were forbidden from fighting in the first place, but they fought because they were allies. And then now when they're allies and they capture captives, they don't kill them because they're forbidden from killing. So they go between these two states of contradiction. Allah then asks, do you then believe in one part of the book and reject another? Do you believe in one part of the book, meaning the command to ransom, and reject another, meaning the command not to fight and not to expel them from God? فَمَا جَزَاءُ مَنْ يَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا خِزْيُونَ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا What repayment will there be for any of you to do that except disgrace, meaning by humiliation and abasement in this world? The disgrace was realized through the killing of Quraiba, the expulsion of Nawir, and the imposition of the Jizyah. And on the day of rising, they will be returned to the harshest of punishments. Allah is not unaware of what you do. What you do, and what they do. Ya'malun is the reading of Nafi and Ibn Kathir and Shu'ba and Ya'qub and Khalaf. Those are the people who trade the next world for this world, meaning by preferring this world to the next world. The punishment will not be lightened for them. They will not be harmed, meaning they will not be protected from the punishment. We gave Musa the book, meaning the Torah, and sent a succession of messengers after him, meaning one messenger after another. We gave Isa, son of Maryam, the clear signs, referring to his miracles, such as bringing the dead to life and healing the blind letters. And reinforced him, meaning strengthened him with the pure, purest raw, Jibreel. Jibreel is called the purest raw because of his complete purity. He accompanied Isa wherever he went. Why then, whenever a messenger came to you with something of the truth, your lower selves did not, did not, did not desire, or one, did you not fall straight, or grow too arrogant to follow the truth when it came to you? 
and deny some of them, such as Isa and murder others, such as Zakaria and Yahya. This is a question by which rebuke is intended. In murder, in perfect tense, rather than the past tense is used, because it describes a past state which continued all the time. They said, meaning to the Prophet وسلم, in Makhri, our hearts are uncircumcised. They are veiled and wrapped. I think that is a better translation. This means that they do not pay attention to what the Almighty says. Wolf is the plural of Aghla, and the meaning is that there is something covering their hearts. So they, so they do not understand what you say. Allah Almighty says, Rather, counteracting what they said, Allah has cursed them for their unbelief. He has removed them far from His mercy and disappointed their hopes of acceptance on account of their unbelief, not because of any defect in their hearts. What little faith they have, the paucity of their belief is stressed by the extra man. Allah is still speaking about these people of Bani Israel and the favors that He gave to them and the different ways in which they reject those favors and turn away from Allah's commands and disbelieve in Him and show those different things. Sometimes by killing their prophets, sometimes by concealing their truth, sometimes by open disobedience and rebellion against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sometimes by following some of the commands and disobeying other commands of Allah. And all of these are things that we should, are being warned to stay away from. When a book, meaning the Quran, does come to them from Allah, confirming what is with them, meaning the Torah, even though before even though before that, meaning before it came, you were praying for victory of those who disbelieve, saying, Oh Allah, help us against them with the Prophet, who will be sent at the end of time. Yet when they, yet when what they recognize of the truth does come to them, meaning a reference to the sending of the Prophet, they just believe in it, out of envy and fear of losing their position of leadership. Allah's curse is on the believers. What an evil thing they have sold themselves for, meaning the loss of their portion of the world. By disbelieving in, meaning rejecting what Allah has sent down, meaning the Quran. Outrage, have intense envy that Allah should send down, should send down, whether it's Yunzila, Yunazila, Yunzilu, Ibn Kathir, Abu Amr, and Yaqub, and Yunazil, everyone else. That Allah should send down his favor, meaning referring to revelation. Down on whichever of his slaves he wills and desires to make a messenger. They have brought down anger, meaning from Allah for the rejection of what was revealed upon anger on themselves. Anger is indefinite distress of several nature. They deserve it for squandering the Torah and rejecting Isa. Those who disbelieve will have a humiliating punishment. When, Allah, when he says anger is indefinite, meaning Allah doesn't say the anger, he says anger in general. So he encompasses every type of anger towards them. When they are told, believing what Allah has sent down, meaning the Quran and other revealed books, they say, we believe in what was sent down to us, meaning the Torah. Allah says, وَيَكْفُرُونَ بِمَا وَرَاءَهُمْ وَهُوَ الْحَقُّ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا مَعَهُمْ 
and they disbelieved anything beyond that, meaning other than it or after it, referring to the Quran, even though it is the truth, confirming what they have. قُلْ فَلِمَ تَقْتُلُونَ أَنْبِيَاءَ اللَّهِ قَبِلُ إِن كُنْتُمْ Say to them, why then, if you are believers in the Torah, did you previously kill the prophets of Allah when the Torah forbade you to kill them? This is addressed to the Jews present in that time of our Prophet وسلم, but refers to what their forefathers did because they were happy with what their ancestors did. وَلَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ مُوسَى بِالْبَيْنِنَاتِ Musa brought you the clear signs, meaning his miracles, such as the staff turning into a snake, his hand turning white, and splitting the sea. Then after he left and went to keep his appointment with his Lord, you adopted the calf, you adopted the calf as a god, and the wrongdoers by doing that. And remember when we made a covenant with you to act by the Torah and lifted up the man, meaning Sinai, above your heads, when you refused to do that, so that it was about to fall on them, and then we said, so the being man Sinai is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars with Tafsir. Some said that there's any mountain, any mountain was revealed, uh, was held over them. So when they refused to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and accept the commands of Allah, Allah took a mountain and lifted it above them and held it over them with the threat of punishment that it would fall upon them unless they took what Allah commanded them to take. As Allah says in another verse. And that is when they took what Allah gave them to take. And that shows to you how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is warning us to not be from those people who have to be forced and constantly pushed. But rather, Iman is when you have that love for Allah and want to turn to Allah with that willingness and with that pleasure of worshipping Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take hold vigorously, meaning with seriousness and effort of what we have given you, and listen, meaning and accept what you have been commanded to do. They said, we hear, meaning what you say, and disobey your command. They were made to drink the calf into their hearts. So that love for it became intermingled with their hearts in the same way that a drink permeates through the body. For their unbelief. Say to them, if you are believers, meaning in the Torah, as you claim, what an evil thing in the form of worshipping the calf your belief has made you has made you do. This means they are not really believers because true belief would never direct them to worship the calf. Although it is their forefathers who have been directly referred to, they are included with them because they too do not believe in the Torah and have denied Muhammad sallallahu True belief in the Torah would in fact make them exceptions. Say to them, the abode of the next world, meaning the garden with Allah, is for you alone and exclusively, to the exclusion of all others, as you claim. Then long for death if you are telling the truth. Allah challenges this, this wishful thinking, making it subject to two conditions, truth, truthfulness in the claim and yearning for death. But they will never ever long for it because of what they have done, referring to their rejection of the Prophet Wallahu Allah knows their wrongdoers. 
meaning those who disbelieve and we repay them appropriately. Allah Azza wa Jal says to them that if you are people who are truthful in your claim that you are the chosen people and that you are the people that Allah loves and are special, then wish for death because surely what Allah Azza wa Jal has prepared for you in the next life is far greater than what you have in this life. And that is why the believers are those people who, even though we don't wish for death, we prepare ourselves for that death. Unless Allah Azza wa Jal to give us long lives with good deeds, but when that, when that time comes, we have hope in Allah Azza wa and His mercy and His forgiveness. If you think that you have a guarantee of reward, then surely you would want that reward even more. Because you know what Allah has given to you and what Allah has prepared for you in the next life, but Allah says they will never do that. Because the claim that they make is false, it is insincere, and they don't actually believe in it. وَلَتَجِدَنَّهُمْ أَحْرَصَ النَّاسِ عَلَى حَيَاتٍ وَمِنَ الَّذِينَ أَشْرَفُوا Allah begins this ayah with the letter Ba of the oath and says Rather you will find them the people greediest, meaning and most eager for life If it has the lamb of oath, in English it would be you will surely find them Not rather, right? It is an oath You will surely indeed find them Along with those who attribute partners to Allah, meaning those who deny the resurrection in fact, the Jews are even greedier for life than the idolaters because they know that they will end up in fire, whereas the idolaters deny it altogether. Any of them would love and wish to be allowed to live a thousand years. But being allowed to live would not save him, meaning will put him far away from the punishment, meaning the fire. Allah sees everything they do. Whereas Ya'malun, they do, and Ta'malun, you do. Ta'malun is Ya'qub, and everyone else says Ya'malun. Allah will give them their just deserts. So, Allah, Allah will give them their just deserts. Say to them, anyone who is an enemy to Jibreel, let him die in his rage, and he should know that it was. He who brought it, meaning the Qur'an, down upon your heart by Allah's authority. Command, confirming what came before of the real, book, of the real books. And as guidance from misguidance. And good news, meaning of the garden, for the believers. Ibn Surya, a Jew, asked the Prophet, for Umar, Prophet or Umar, which angel brought the revelation. Jibreel was the reply. He said, he is our enemy, he brings a punishment. If it had been Mikael, we would have believed. He brings fruitfulness and peace. Then this ayah is revealed in the Prophet ﷺ was instructed to tell him this. So this is referring to how the Jewish community didn't like the Prophet Jibreel ﷺ and they considered him to be the Prophet of war. And we know the Prophet Jibreel ﷺ to be the one who brings revelation and the one who assists prophets and messengers and the believers by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This narration that Asiyyuti ta'ala mentions is mentioned in some of the books of Tafsir. But a more authentic one, which is mentioned in the hadith of Al-Bukhari, in the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, about the companion Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu anhu. Abdullah ibn Salam was from the rabbis and the learned people of the Jewish community who became a Muslim. And he came with a number of questions to the Prophet when he first migrated to Medina to test him. And the Prophet before he answered those questions, he said, Jibreel salam came to me and he told me. Abdullah ibn Salam said, Did Jibreel, is Jibreel the one who brings you revelation? He is the enemy of the Jews. And that is basically what is being said here and so Allah Azza wa Jal is is refuting this those people who claim that Jibreel is not a prophet who brings anything except rage and doesn't bring mercy
Anyone who is an enemy of Allah and of his angels and of his messengers and of Jibreel, also read as Jibreel, and Mikaelin, also read as Mikael, should know that Allah is an enemy to unbelievers. Adding the names of Jibreel and Mikael after the angels as a whole have been mentioned is an example of adding the specific to the general. So the readings of Jibreel are four in the Quran, in the Qiraat. Jibreel is the most common one. Jabreel is Ibn Kathir. Jabrail is Shu'bah. And Jabrail is Hamza Kisai and Khala. And everyone else reads Jibreel. And Mikael as well. Or Mikal. Mikal is Abu Amr, Hafsan Yaqub. Mikael is Nafi and Abu Ja'far. Mikael is everyone else. And the reason why Allah Azza wa mentions the angels generally and specifies Jibreel and Mikael is because those are the two angels that the dispute is over. They said that Mikael is the good angel, the one that brings good, and Jibreel only brings war and rage. And we know that both of those are blessed angels and noble angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have sent down clear signs to you, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And no one disbelieves them except the deviators who reject them. They are clear and evident signs which refute the words of Ibn Zulia to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You have brought us nothing. Why is it that whenever they make a contract, meaning with Allah to believe in the Prophet if he appears, and not to have the unbelievers against him, a group of them disdainfully, disdainfully tosses it aside and break it? This is a question implying denial. No, indeed, most of them do not believe. وَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ وَسُولٌ مِّنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ مُصَدِّقٌ لِمَا مَعَهُمْ نَبَذَ فَرِيقٌ مِّنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَرَاءَ ظُهُورِهِمْ كَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ When a messenger, meaning Muhammad وسلم, comes to them from Allah, confirming what is with them, a group of those who have been given the book, meaning the Torah, disdainfully toss the book of Allah behind their backs, meaning by not acting according to its orders regarding belief in the messenger and other things, as if they did not know, meaning what was in it about him, being a true prophet, or that of Allah. Okay, inshallah, I think we will conclude there for today. I know we're slightly behind schedule, but it's because we had a slightly late start, and inshallah ta'ala, as you can see now towards the end of this session, the session will be more reading and commentating rather than me explaining every verse, but I wanted to begin with more detail because of some of the important issues that are mentioned, especially in Surah Al-Fatiha. There is blessing and there is good in just reading the books of tafsir. If one of the reason that you listen to the Quran and understanding the Quran and sending salat and salam upon the Prophet and his name is mentioned and there is barakah within that, especially in this month of the Quran, I know that these sessions are long and that can sometimes be difficult. But for a person who wants to do something like this in this project, then that is the effort and the time, the determination, the focus and the sacrifice that needs to be made. We ask Allah Azza wa that he accepts it from all of us. بارك الله فيكم وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.